Like, I just want to tell you how privileged you are to live when you're alive. Like, there is more revelation. There is a clearer truth of the gospel on the earth than any time in history. There's been people that have a glimpse in revelation. There's things recorded and men of old that had looked into some of this stuff, in it, but it was so not received, and, and it was just kind of overlaid with just mere religion, and, and men just kind of trampled down every increase of revelation to where, I mean, when I was in my late teens, I mean, it was like churches were still wrestling with drums that's how bad it was like and and nobody had the revelation of why god really sent his son it was just all about you getting to heaven and it was very limited and i'm looking at the songs you look at the songs that come out of bethel these songs you're writing the songs that are being written by a lot of people there is so much revelation on the earth like you got to see something to write these songs like holy spirit is really really speaking and I just want you guys to understand and be encouraged that like you have an amazing opportunity and I know you don't totally understand that because it's what you've been hearing since you've been in this thing but man when I was your age you you couldn't even share these things in a church without being called a heretic or they just weren't around they weren't even around so I just think God's up to something we're a part of it and we should just be honored that Oh my goodness, that we can see what we see, that he's showing us what he's showing us, and we can live this way. Because when you believe what we were just singing a while ago, what's that do on the inside of you? That man, it gives you confidence, it encourages you, it edifies, brings life, right? And uh, I'm just thankful. So I want to just say, man, I am just glad for the season we're in. I'm glad you guys are a part of it. And I just want to encourage you to run well with God's, with what he's entrusted this generation with. Like, I don't know that any generations been on the earth to this point that has the level of revelation that we have and i think we have the greatest opportunity of all time to walk out this kingdom amen Amen. so i just want to encourage you in that this is not the time never was the time to be weary discouraged drawing back cycling living up and down never been the time but definitely now is not the time for that guys so stay encouraged stay in army cheer each other on stay together and let's go after this thing. Come on. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to question and answers. Uh, I'm not saying this because I'm threatened by any questions at all. So hear me. when Because people ask the Lord questions. You can, you can ask the question and think you already have the answer. You can ask the question because you're challenging. You can ask the question because you're frustrated. I would encourage you to really train your heart to stay humble in all your inquiring so you always have an ear to hear. And, and ask the Lord questions. And, and you can ask me a question frustrated. I don't care. What I'm saying is you're hurting yourself when you inquire from the Lord without a place of relationship and a pure heart to hear and understand. You don't, you don't ask a question already having an answer. It's not even a question then. It's a challenge. Yeah. You, you, when you seek the Lord, keep your heart humble before him. Man, even if you're in turmoil in your emotions, even if it doesn't make sense and your mind wants to attack like a, a jury... Take a deep breath and say, God, man, I don't understand nothing right now except for this. I know you're good. I know you're for me, and I really need you to father me now. And then start asking your questions from a place of humility. Mm. Always keep him in the right place so you never divert your ear from hearing clear. Yeah. That's all I'm trying to say to you. It's, it's, it's just something about humility and grace coming to humility. It's not that God's not bigger than your attitude. It's just the easiest way to hear. You're hearing, Jesus said, be careful how you hear. I've preached things in a service and three people tell me what they heard and it's not even what I was meaning to say. And I don't even know that I said what they heard. 
but they all listen to me and three people say, well, when you said, wait a minute, what did I say? When you said, and I'm like, ooh, I don't think I even believe that, let alone said that. <laughs> but it's how they're processing. And then you can hear things with a chip on your shoulder. You can hear things with pain. You can hear things with unresolved conflict. And it's like a screen. It, it determines how you hear. And it just kind of twists it as it's going in. So, man, the pure in heart see God when you ask questions, when you're inquiring of the Lord. I'll tell you this. They asked Jesus a lot of questions. And their hearts weren't pure. They always were trying to trick him, trap him, and they were watching his words like a hawk, right? So guess what he did? He didn't answer their questions. You can't show me one place in the Bible where they ask him a question and it reveals their motive and it wasn't good that he answered the question. He always flipped it and said, let me ask you a question. (laughs) No, no, no. No. Oh, no, no. No, I'm not even saying this. I'm saying this for your sake. I'm I'm saying Jesus would say, because people say... Well, and I can handle it. I understand. Like, they'll say, well, if God's good, then how come my child died? I get that. You're, you're passionate. And you're hurt. And, but, but people did that using illustrations to Jesus. Teacher, tell us. And they were trying to trick him in his words. And when he perceived their motive and using scenarios to trap him and, and judge him, he'd never feed into it. He would say, let me ask you a question. And boom, he turned the table on him. It's really amazing. Why? Because he's calling them out. He's calling out their heart. And he's not going to feed that thing. He's going to expose it. Mm. So who knows if you're crying out and you're in your room and you've lost your child and you're crying out to God. Who knows he's bigger than your emotions? Mm. Who knows he can still get an answer to you? What I'm saying is your motive in the question can impede your ability to hear clear. Mm. And just keep your heart before him always, okay? And remember, he is never the problem, never the enemy. He sent his son while we were yet sinners. Please don't ever forget that. Mm. Don't take life personal. Take this gospel personal and become a product of what he's done. Okay? Okay, so let's go for it. Let's do one thing here. Let's just take a minute. We're going to take one minute. I just want you to sit with the Lord. Let's see what's in your heart. See if the question comes up. Holly and me have been out here about 20 years. We love this generation. We love what God's doing with people and the youth. But one thing we have seen over these 20 years is this generation lacks a very important muscle, which is learning to ask questions and to stay curious. And tonight we have like a literally a father in the faith with us. And I just want us to just position our hearts in a place where we ask the question, you know, and don't feel like it's a stupid question. I guarantee someone else is thinking this question. But let's just take one minute. And just see if anything surfaces in your heart that you would love to ask Dan. Just think that you have a father in the faith here. What do you want to ask?
Dan, I'm super blessed when you talk about your, your marriage and your testimony um, and, and a real challenge. And we've been married almost 20 years. Wow, great. We're, uh, we're like trying to figure out the dance of two becoming one still. And okay. I love, I'm so encouraged and, and really challenged of you talking about not being reliant and not being codependent, not being like checking in on my value off of how how Paige is doing and and just being one with, you know just like dialed into my own identity and I've been I've gotten so much from your work your messages over the years and I'm, I'd love you to speak to two becoming one I, you speak so much about your marriage and I love that I'm really uh-huh. blessed by that so as the dance of two different people and then the miracle of two becoming one in marriage um, I just love for you to speak to that. Okay, absolutely. That's a great question, especially with all these young folks here. And and if you're not married and thinking you might be someday, this would be really good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> great question, man. So, uh, to becoming one, I believe this with my heart because in the beginning when, when Adam and Eve and he looked and it was good and, and the two were one, he said, for this reason, man shall leave his mother, father, cleave to his wife. The two should become one. What God's joined together, right? No man put asunder. So, I believe this. I believe that a man and a woman married in covenant in Christ Jesus, when they understand that, and that's what we're going to talk about, is the highest expression and manifestation of God on the earth. I actually believe there's a higher manifestation in a marriage than an individual life that's surrendered. Because it's two becoming one. There's synergism. You've got two giftings, two callings, two personalities, two makeups that are surrendered for the highest common cause of manifesting Christ. So here's a husband and a wife. So in a marriage, what they're saying is now it takes two, right? It takes two to accomplish this, but it takes one to pursue peace. So even if one doesn't want to live there, the other's always called to live there. And if you take that person and say, well, my spouse doesn't want to, blah, 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 and you start letting your spouse dictate your faith, your heart, and your zeal to live in God, then your whole life is dependent on the response of another, but his name's not Jesus. Are you with me? So it takes two to walk this out, but it also takes two to tango. And I'm not talking about a dance that most of us wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe they do, huh? So... So it takes two to tango. It takes two to have a fight. It takes one to pursue peace. The two becoming one is a great and beautiful mystery. He, he speaks of a man and a wife in Ephesians 5. And he says, I speak, it's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. Isn't that amazing? So he's comparing a marriage to Christ and his church. This stuff is powerful and it's intimate. In the beginning, it says, wives, submit and yield to your own husbands as you would to the Lord, as unto the Lord. We turn that into wives are servant and subservient to the husband. It wasn't like that from the beginning. It was like that after sin and woman's desire was for the man and in pain she'll conceive and sorrow she'll give birth and blah, 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 blah. But in the beginning, he made both man and woman for his image. They both, we both have the same creative value. A woman in the circle isn't lesser than a man in the circle. You're both here for the same reason, to manifest his image. Yeah? So the reason that woman makes man complete isn't because he's missing something without her except for the avenue to multiply and manifest. He can't love without the woman. There's nowhere to go. 
In other words, God made man after his own image to multiply the glory of who God is. And he looked at all the animals and said, man, everyone has one comparable. The man doesn't have anywhere to go with the power and impact of who I made him to be. So he didn't make a man because he needed woman, he, or woman because he, he needed her. He made her because she's the avenue and outlet to love. He's actually, she's this type, she's symbolic of the church. He's prophesying out new covenant testament life. Ah, so, so he doesn't make, ah, really, God, it's a great question. So he doesn't make another lump of clay. He reaches into him. And of one, he makes two. So the two can be one. <laughs> Come on. So he reaches into the fullness of God in man. And brings out the woman. Now guess and, and watch what her place is. To actually receive love, be loved, and be lavished in unfailing love. By God in the man. So I say, watch this young people. I say, if there's a woman in a man's life, then it would be awesome if it's because of the fullness of God in him. Wow. Not because he's a hunk. Not because you're lonely. Not because he likes you. Not because you're not getting any younger. <laughs> well, there's a lot of reasons people hook up. But when I look at my Bible, for this reason, the two becoming one. So here's what that really means. That means in their marriage and working out two personalities, two tables of preference and desire, two individuals called husband and wife saying, listen, even if we disagree, it never has to be tension. It's not about being right, controlling, manipulating. We want to come together for the highest cause of manifesting the beauty of who he is. And we want our oneness to show that. We want our children to see that. Two becoming one is both the husband and wife waking up in the morning for the same reason. To manifest Jesus. And if that's sincere in your heart and that's sincere in your spouse's heart, that is a powerful place to live. That is synergism. That's two graces, two callings, two anointings coming together in one strength. It's not one plus one is two. It's one plus one is one. And it's a stronger one. Are you following me? God's math isn't one plus one is two. It's one plus one is a stronger one. Why? Because you're together for his great name. You're not together because you want to be married. You're not together because you want to have children. That's all parts of life. But the motive in life, you want to come together because you want to manifest his name and fulfill why man and woman can be married. Christians ought to get this. Like, really, this should be preached with passion. You see how worked up I am? I'm barely sitting like, no, seriously, like, we ought to get this. And instead, what we've done is we've taken the world's needs and the world's ways and the world's wisdoms, and we've allowed it to be our motives and tried to wrap Christian language around what the world's doing. And that is selling way cheap. And there's more hurt. There's more pain in relationships and marriages than anything else on the earth. And the word I love you has unfortunately caused more devastation than it ever has blessing. Ain't that something? That's not an overstatement. People need to hear those words because they need to believe they're loved and need to believe they're lovable. We haven't realized that we're called to be loved, not need love. 
So we're born into no identity. We're born into having no clue who we are. And life's like this experimental journey to find ourselves, and whatever we find is a lie anyway. Until you run into Jesus. And when you run into Jesus and you go, whoa, and you surrender to him, sir, and he becomes the Lord of your life, that means the supreme being, the governing factor, the ruling factor of your life. And all of a sudden you meet a young lady, and all of a sudden she says, I believe in Jesus. And you say, listen, man, I want to lay down my life for you. I want to give to you and serve you. Why would you want to do that for me? Why would you love me that way? Because I want to bring the best out of who he is in you. And however I can lay down my life, man, I want to run this race with you. I want to walk this journey with you. I want to do this together with you. I want one plus one to be the most amazing one bring glory to his name yeah that's a christian marriage and it's that intense and it's that powerful yeah i hope you're listening youngsters <laughs> with all them passions and desires <laughs> and them oohs and them ahs <laughs> come on don't you be deceived and just be a feeling driven young person that's what everybody's been the spirit led have the integrity of Christ in your life. And, and, and women, you know, I've I pastored for years, man. I, I, I feel like I fathered and grandpaed so many young girls in my church. Them young girls would run in my office and they'd cry. They'd walk in. As soon as they'd come in the office, there was a joke at church, but it really wasn't a joke. They'd say, well, don't go in Pastor Dan's office if you don't want to cry. Because you're just going to go in there and cry. And I'm like, why does everybody cry when they come in here? Like young girls would come in and say, hi, Pastor Dan. And I'd say, hey, honey, how are you? I'm fine. <laughs> what are you doing? Next thing you know, they're literally sitting on my lap and like laying their head on my shoulder, and I'm rocking them like they're my own daughter. And I've had way too many young girls cry on my knee for wrong reasons, trying to find identity, trying to find love, trying to find that they fit, trying to find that somebody cares, trying to find a value. I'm like, honey, you'll never find it where you're looking, ever, ever. I had one young girl snap on me one day. Oh, man, did she lose it. We're sitting at a picnic here. I took her out of the church. and She was undone, man. She had just cycled and boom and went where she never wanted to go. And she walked in the office. I saw it in her face right away. I said, oh, honey. I said, let's go. I took her outside of the picnic table. I just went her outside because I knew she was going to blubber and cry. And I didn't want her to be around nobody. And I'm just trying to help her. She was 18 and. I started to talk to her and she said, I know what you're going to say. You say it all the time. You just say it all the time. You, you describe this man. You describe this man. And that man you describe is not out there. That's what she said. She freaked out. She said, the man you describe is not out there. I said, so what? So you compromise and sell cheap and violate your conscience and keep crying yourself to sleep? Or do you stand your ground to be a prize to be won and make a draw on Christ in a man? And do you stand firm and reveal what you really believe? Or do you just get driven by need like almost every other young lady out there? And she went, oh, okay. Because <laughs> women, you're not for sale. You're bought. You're already bought. You're going to find yourself in the truth. You're already bought. You're not your own. Your life's not your own. You're bought with a price. The highest price was purchased to obtain you. And you're trying to find something somewhere else that only this truth can actually meet so that when you find that something else, it's crazy healthy. 
and you're not needy and you're not driven and you're not full of compromise and you're not just an emotional whirlwind. You're actually rooted and grounded in truth. And the young man, hopefully, hopefully the young man sees the same things and honors you enough to never violate truth in your life and actually represent Christ from the beginning and actually see that you're someone he could actually give himself to and join his life with for a common cause called the glory of his name. And all of a sudden you're aiming at union. And all of a sudden you grow in Christ way more than you just grow together. And all of a sudden you're not just hanging out, watching a video and spooning on a couch and trying to subdue your passions. <laughs> Come on. Can I get real? Please, please all of a sudden, Jesus is actually the center of why you're together. And actually, together, you're growing in a truth that's so powerful. That by the time you stand and exchange lives in covenant vows and Holy Spirit joins you in the presence of all, this thing is amazing. It's two becoming one. And it ain't because he's hot. And she's hot. And he's a hunk. And I like her. And ooh, he loves me. That's like, blah. I've seen that hurt so many. Like, where'd that go six months from now? We believe, most of us believe that the flare and the spark of our beginning years gets lost after children and da, da, da. Not when your purpose is to glorify his name. Because then your parenting matters. And all of a sudden, your children see you as a living example. And all of a sudden, they're not like, do we got to go to church again? All of a sudden, they don't even think Christianity is church attendance. They think Christianity is mom and dad. <laughs> hey, you asked the question, dude. I'm bringing it, man. This is a one-question Q&A. Oh, I could preach for three days on this thing. Are you following this, though? For this reason, man will leave mom and dad. Join himself with his wife, and the two shall be one. When God said that, the whole reason Adam was on the earth was his image. When God said that, the whole reason Eve was on the earth was his image. They were naked and had no clue because they were totally innocent. There was no sin or self-consciousness. It wasn't about her curves or her lack of curves. It wasn't about him saying, oh, girl, whoa, man. Woman simply means of the man. It was nothing to do with what we know. It was all about love. It was all about giving your life for the highest goal and bringing out the best in another. Isn't that what Jesus did when he loved his church? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So, if you're married here, don't elbow your husband and husbands. Don't you get condemned when I say this. I would love to preach so passionate that you wouldn't even have the capacity to ever again demean your spouse. That you wouldn't even have the grid for it. That if they're seeing something or doing something belligerent or even willful, that you would learn to cry for them instead of get mad at them. That because if they're living that way, something's shifting in them and you can't let that shift shift you. You don't repay evil for evil. You overcome evil with good. You don't, you don't attack a harsh word with a harsh word and try to win an argument. You overcome a harsh word with a kind word. Mercy triumphs 
over judgment. Love covers a multitude of sin. Man, if we would just love one another. If we would just love our spouses to truth. I never read a scripture that said the judgment of God leads men to change. But I can show you where his goodness does. Wonder if we would live that way toward one another. Wonder if you young men that have girlfriends and you aren't married would actually see your girlfriend as a holy thing, as a woman of God, as a vessel of potential covenant, and you grow to know her in a way where you're willing to give all that you are to her to bring out the best in her so Christ would shine through her. And in that place, you too would have a synergism that's beyond description, and Jesus would be manifested through your lives. And all of a sudden, you actually look like Jesus, and she actually looks like his bride. <laughs> Yay. Let your beats love you. Oh. Hey, baby, love you. Really? I don't know. Oh, I love, oh, I love you, too. Oh. It just gets messy. Hey, Come on, man. I'm sorry. You asked the question. It's his fault. <laughs> Write him emails. Don't even talk to me. I hope I'm helping. That's good. That's really Come good. on, man. I don't even want to have the capacity. I don't normally talk. You're not recording this, are you? Uh, no, definitely not. Somebody probably got. I winky, am. Winky, winky, winky. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, won't put, I won't put up. Do you? It's hard because sometimes you have to qualify things so much because you don't want people judged or compared or condemned by what you say. You want people to hear that it's possible, not go, oh, well, count me out. Yeah. I don't even, I wouldn't even know how at this point to have animosity with my wife. I love her. And if she's struggling, I'm going to weep with somebody that's weeping. I'm going to lay down my life to see her okay. She does not owe me a thing. I'm not married for her to do me right. I'm married to manifest Christ in her life. I'm here to give her my life. And in that, give her who he is in me. I don't know how to argue with her. She couldn't make me if she tried. <laughs> you can say, brother, that's impossible. No, you're hiding behind that. Well, nobody can do that. We all have our moments. No, that's why you have yours. Because <laughs> you're manifesting what you believe. And you're hiding behind everybody else's experience and covering up yours. How's that for straight? <laughs> Who's got the next question? <laughs> so wonder if you just believed this was possible. Wonder if you gave your heart to prayer in this. Wonder if you guys said, man, I don't ever want to look on a woman outside of your love. And I don't ever want to be with a woman for the wrong reason. Listen to how strong I teach this stuff. There's no one that was placed on the earth with the job description of scratching your itch or meeting your need. No one. Everyone is on the earth to manifest him. And in that, in that agreeable truth, we can come together and say, we're all in. Look how your children would benefit from that. Look how they would see and see the motto of true love. And it doesn't have anything to do with the world's way or romance. It has to do with integrity and honor and surrender. Are you with me? Wouldn't that be amazing? Guys, why we're on the topic, I'm just going to say it's strong, man. I got a whole room, a group of young people, man. 
When you compromise your conscience, when you get into sexual stuff, when you cross lines in your relationships before it's time, you know that. You get violated by that. It does something. It dulls things. It's not healthy. It's not good. Why? It was set apart for covenant. Why? Because you, you can't function this way and just receive pleasure or identity when you haven't given and surrendered. You're made for one. Young ladies, there's a such thing on the earth called a virgin. There's a hymen and a woman. It's biology. It's known. It's not weird, and we can talk about it. We ought to. I've seen God grow that back in a woman that was repentant, but it's made, it's one layer of flesh. It's made for one man. It's made to cut covenant. There's blood when the hymen breaks. There's blood in the man's semen. The two cut blood covenant when they consummate their marriage. It's man and woman. It's two becoming one. It's an expression of oneness. You're in the intimate, deepest place of the woman. You're inside her, guys. It's crazy, amazing. It's from the Lord. It's not a one-night stand. It's not a, hey, I need to feel wanted. It's not an orgasm. It's the Spirit of God upon us in union. It's amazing. <laughs> and I used to live the only thing I was taught in the locker rooms, man. And then Jesus taught me the truth. <laughs> it's overwhelming. It's nothing to do with needing. It's to do with love. Oh. And that union is designed to where the presence of God outweighs anything you can receive physically in the experience because it's true covenant love. And nowhere but there can you experience what God intended. You can only experience what the world knows. And that's why it hasn't done many people a whole lot of good in the long run. I better calm down because right. I'm getting on some touchy ground right now. You're doing this. Uh, I'm let Madeline go and then you can go after Ro. You guys all right? Did you survive? Okay, good. Belt's on, Hudson. I had a follow-up question kind of related to the, the needs Stand up and say okay. so everyone can hear you. We can repeat the question, okay. too. I was saying, I had a follow-up question based on, like, the needs kind of conversation. And, okay. Like, relational needs. And it's something I've, I've heard you say a lot. Like, obviously, we, we've been married for, like, four years and even, like, got married talking about things that you've said about marriage. So, um, anyway, how would you reconcile, like, that idea with, like, the idea of, like, relational trust? Like, and... Even, like, conditional trust, like, you talk about, like, for a marriage to work, like, you need to spend time together. So, like, how do you, I don't know, I would just love to hear your thoughts on that. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I think I'm tracking. If, I'm, if I start answering it, I'm not really following where you're talking and asking. Just interrupt me and try yeah. to clarify and help me understand. Yeah. Like, relational expectations. Yeah. Like, if you don't draw from them, like, how do you, like, how would you think about building trust and, like, commitment with people like even outside of marriage um, right if that makes sense like friendship like yeah yeah in that sense i i'm easy to be a friend with because i have no friendship expectations there's no way you can hurt me if i'm your friend <laughs> i love you way too much i'm not going to take anything you did personally i know if that you're thinking clear and you're living in jesus you wouldn't have did what you just did i'm not going to personalize it i'm not going to let what you did 
make a draw in a negative way and take something that he's created me and called me to be. That's, that's called unconditional love. That's called I love you in a relationship. So a lot of us were brought up in this relationship where we really are trying to get something that we believe we need through that relationship. It's in the Christian churches. I'm, it's a little dangerous when I talk about this because people, people like, oh, please help me, Lord. Okay, I'm just going to believe I'm supposed to say this stuff and I'll take the heat for it. There's Christian ministries that teach man has needs, women have needs, God made women a certain way, God made men a certain way, and you're supposed to speak their language and minister their needs and meet their love. That, I couldn't disagree with that more. We're studying a fallen man. We're psychologically assessing people that are fallen that are driven by need and saying, this is us and God made us this way. Adam and Eve made us this way. If you know the love of Christ, you're filled with all the fullness of God. There was no neediness in Adam and Eve before sin. Are you with me? So watch this. If these two are married and they're believing that she's made a certain way and he's, and he's told, look, you got to understand she's a woman, so she's this, this, and this. And he's a man and he's this and this. you got to understand that. you got to pray in it. you got to begin to meet his, him right there. So watch. So she's not doing that well or he's not doing that well. So then you sit down, talk to him. How's things going? He starts crying or she starts crying and says, well, I mean, I'm a guy, right? And I'm this and this. And, but she's not doing anything about it. In fact, she gets frustrated and says, well, you need to grow up or blah, blah, blah. And see, I just feel like she so forsakes me where I need her most. And all of a sudden, she becomes his reason for not being formed and fashioned and standing strong in Christ. And all of a sudden, he becomes her reason because she ain't being loved rightly by him for having a fallout and being emotionally weak because of him. So all of a sudden, their weakness becomes the other person's reality. There's nothing relational about that. That's all deceived. That's all twisted. Wow. Come on. If I wake up in the morning and I'm solid in Christ and I have a right view of my marriage and my wife, I'm not, you don't even put your trust in flesh. Why? Because your needs are met through him. You say, oh, Dan, that's unrealistic. The only reason you believe that's unrealistic is because you were trained by the wisdom of the world and your and my emotions were so disjointed and that we can only relate to the weakness of it. But Jesus didn't live that way, did he? On the night he was betrayed, he gave his life. On the night we're betrayed, we cry and call a friend. There's a difference. <laughs> Come on, there's a difference. The Bible says on the night he was betrayed for a reason. That the betrayal didn't change the truth. The betrayal doesn't change love. Love is all the more, yeah. And where sin abounds, grace is greater. He doesn't say man, look at them over there saying they'll all die for me as soon as I'm struck. They're out of here, man. Peter's going to just sell me cheap. He says, Peter, you're going to die for me? Come on, man. This night, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Peter says, what? He doesn't say, dude, I cannot believe what God showed me in prayer. All we've been through and the way I've laid down my life and all the miracles you've seen, I pulled you together with James and John and made you my inner circle. And you, out of all these 12, are going to say you don't even know me? And you want to stand here and talk all this smack like you'll die for me? You're chicken-hearted and self-centered, dude. You ain't for me. That was Jesus cussing. Come on. You know how many people were hurt in ministry? 
because they, 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 they put all this trust in people and they have all their dependency on people to carry out their vision and their dream. No, we're living out the kingdom. And then they get hurt. Next thing you know, they don't even know if they can move forward anymore because they can't trust anymore. Next thing you know, they have superficial walls around their life and won't even let anybody close because of the pain. You cannot tell me that that's normal and that's truth and that the kingdom of heaven understands that. You say, you don't have walls? I don't even know what you're talking about. Like what I'm defending, he's not. How can he defend what I'm trying to defend? I'm going to be overtaken. He's my rear guard. His truth defends me. He's my strong tower. He's my refuge. In him I trust. So I have the most amazing relationship with my wife. Why? Because it's, it's, it's always there. It's, she, she feels so safe around me. She doesn't even feel like she can mess up. Are you with me? I'm getting convicted. Yeah. <laughs> like, like she's not on eggshells. And it doesn't give her permission to live flagrant. My wife would die for me. I think she'd jump in front of a car to get hit before me. I, she values me and respects me like I've never seen in our marriage. But it's because of the freedom of knowing she's not under the pressure and obligatory of wifery as the world knows it. She knows she doesn't owe me a thing. And it brings freedom to our relationship. And it brings actually total trust. Like she sees my integrity. You ought to see the notes she writes me. I don't think I'd tell you enough. But you are such a man of God. I don't even know anyone like you. You And she writes me these notes. I'm like, she'll slip them in my luggage, my suitcase, my Bible. It's amazing. Why? That's relational. So where does the trust come from? To know the love of Christ is to be filled with all the fullness of God. So watch this, husband and wife. So if the husband understands loving the, the wife as the church, and you're still growing in something, you still feel a little dependent, needy, you still feel... That gets swallowed up in him loving you like Christ loves the church, right? In his life, he's not asking anything of you. He's finding joy in loving you in the midst. There's a beauty in forgiveness. There's a beauty that when your spouse is flat out wrong and you see it, that it ain't even about being wrong. It's about loving her in righteousness. There's a beauty about that. And when she realizes at some point, man, I was so far off and he had to know that. And he treated me like he loves me the same. And all of a sudden the trust things build in the love of God in a relationship. See, we're trying to do relationship based on everybody's experience. And everybody's writing books on relationship, but it's, it's the world wrapped in Christian language. We've psychologically assessed, assessed fallen man, and we've said, this is us, and I disagree. This isn't us. Him and us is us. <laughs> are you hearing me? So relationships are easy. Like, super easy. Like, how are you going to hurt me? I didn't wake up for you to love me. Like, yay. That's not out there too far. That's not denial. How do you think Jesus did what he did? How do you think he went to the cross and stayed the same the whole time? How do you think God has loved you up until now when you know your story? Because everything I'm telling you is who he is and it's true. And he said, follow me. And as he is, so are we in this world. 
I think psychology has robbed us. I think Christian psychology, which I'm not even sure what that is. It's studying the behavior of man. Psychology is really the diagnosis of why man's acting the way he is. Christian psychology is supposed to diagnose that and come up with a healthy answer. I'm saying, wonderful, studying the wrong thing. Wonderful, not studying Christ in us. Wonderful, just studying us. Wonder if we've allowed our own human experience to be our own reality so much that the grace of God is actually irrelevant. And we've denied the grace of God that's here to change us because we believe our experience above this other picture. Wonder if we relate more to our feelings of yesterday than the redemption of today. Wonder if we're really not living in faith. Wonder if feelings are ruling our life. Is that fair? Come on, these are just questions, man. Can you see how passionate I get when I talk about this? Do you know why? Because I have great confidence because I absolutely live this way and I'll stand before God one day and answer for it. And I know that. So I'm either wacko or I'm on to something. You say, brother, I think you're wacko. Well, I'm not going to argue with you. I guess we'll find out someday. But until then, I'm going to love my wife and live unoffended. And I'm going to absolutely stay void of animosity. Paul says, when there's strife and bickering among you, you're carnal. And you're living like you really don't know Christ. And we're justified in our feelings when they're detrimental. I do not need a justification to not look like Jesus. I'm deceived. <laughs> and if I'm going to let your actions empower me to not look like Jesus, I might as well call you Lord, and we probably ought to write a song about you. <laughs> and just make you amazing and domineering. Come on. Can you say that again? I don't know. <laughs> I've seen way too many people let one person decide who they are and how they are, but their name's not Jesus. That's making someone else Lord. Are you all good? I hope I'm touching your question somehow. Okay, so, so here's the deal. I wouldn't focus on the trust part. I would surrender to love and not be afraid of it. I'd step right out on the ice and not think it's going to break because you don't love your own life anyway. You've laid it down for him. So would he love this guy with his whole life and would he just oversee things and overlook things and, and nurture him in a way of truth even if he's wrong? Would God change the way he deals with him? You just jump. You just jump in headlong and you just be like Jesus is to the church to her. What you have to understand in Ephesians 5, he talks to the wives and everybody tells the wives to submit to your husband and makes wives feel like they're supposed to be the slave to the husband. He says one thing to the woman. <laughs> you submit means yield and adapt yourself to your own husband as you would to the Lord. So you're reading your Bible and you're growing in Christ and you see something and you get convicted. Who's ever, who, what young lady here has ever read your Bible and you got convicted about your life or an attitude and you felt Holy Spirit chugging on your heart to bring some change in an area of your life? So just the way you would yield and adapt to the Lord because you're convicted, the things you might not see in your husband before you got married, the things you don't totally agree with, yield, adapt yourself. Don't become issue-driven. Don't feel like, man, what did I marry into? Yield, adapt yourself to your own husband as you would to the Lord. Just begin to love him and stuff. And then the rest of the chapter, husbands, bam, husbands, bam, husbands, bam. Four husbands, bam. <laughs> One, submit to your husband, to the wives, 
and four husbands do this. Yeah? Pretty amazing. Husbands. Yeah. It's really good. So. Hey, can I ask some questions? It's on the topic. Just sing it out, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's there's no sense if you're not thinking marriage, there's no sense. I, I have a really strong man, and I probably do I have young do I have teenager folks here? Either way, man, I just got young folks. Watch this, watch this. I, I, I'm very concerned about just going into an emotional experience, just following the world's way and getting so groomed by the world that because you're a young lady, a young man, and you're starting to get feelings and affections for someone, that you always have to act on that. Because what it becomes is it becomes emotional and physical driven. All of a sudden you're 16 and you got a boyfriend. And next thing you know, you guys are hanging out so much. The next thing you know, first kissing it, you're like overwhelmed and freaking out. And it was the greatest moment of your life. Sometimes that's the way it feels to you. Next thing you know, boom, and now you're 16. And all of a sudden you've been together or you're 17 and it's your second boyfriend because you've been... This, is, this stuff happens, guys. It's just real. And I'm concerned because of where it leads us. So many people have emotional experiences. Come on. You're, you're, I tell people, listen, be careful with your emotional expression in, in relationship. When you get together with somebody, you want to honor them and value them. They might never become your wife. Why are you kissing somebody else's wife? Why are you going to sleep with her when you have no covenant with her? And now you got an experience and you both got to deal with the memory. And some of the guys, unfortunately, are cool with that and want the memory. Some of the girls cry over that and get a different reaction when they're Christian. It's amazing how I've watched the guys and girls respond different. You come together and you feel attracted to somebody. I think you ought to communicate when you're Christians. We ought to find out you're Christian. I told my wife I was a Christian because I wanted to be with her. There wasn't one thing Christian about me. <laughs> she just got saved six months before she met me. She just wanted to get her life clean. She had two long-term relationships. She's almost four years older than me. I was 19 when we met, and I thought that was amazing because she was 23. This is a woman. This ain't no girl I graduated with. This is a woman, man, and my friends don't have no 23-year-old girl. And I'm like, dude, this is awesome. <laughs> And I'm being honest, I had one thing on my mind. And it wasn't Jesus in ministry. <laughs> and it wasn't loving her like the Lord. I wanted to hit it off with a 23-year-old because I was 19. And I wanted to tell my friends that I was with a 23-year-old. So, of course, I told her I loved her because it helps. Is it all right if I'm real? I'm moving on her one day. She's alone at home. Her parents are away. I'm like, yes, my chance. She, she asked me if I was a Christian. I told her, yes. I figured I'm American. I mean, I grew up a Christian. I mean, I don't, yeah, I'm a Christian. Sure. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm in. If I said no, it might have affected something. I'd have to say, yeah. Well, she should have saw my life for one day and said, dude, you are like so not a Christian. <laughs> But isn't it amazing how vulnerable we are and we have feelings and affections? So in this dating thing, all of a sudden, she's a Christian young. She had to see that my life wasn't driven by God. She had to see that I wasn't convicted by that. So, but yet she's willing to compromise because of her feelings and hope it works out. Maybe this could be, and who knows, because she wants to be. 
So all of a sudden, our relationship has nothing to do with truth. There's so much dysfunction at the root of why we're together. You see what I'm saying? I remember, man, I remember trying to make it happen one night, and she's like, what are you doing? I'm thinking, you're 23. What am I doing? You had two long-term relationships. Come on, what am I doing? And then she stops me again and says, Dan, what are you doing? I'm like, what are you? She said, we're Christians. That's how sincere she was. She's like, why are you doing? We're Christians. She had such a conviction that, and you know what I did? I got so offended because I'm thinking, well, you probably didn't say that to them two long-term dudes. They've probably been where I haven't been and you say you love me. Now all of a sudden I'm out because you're a Christian and they're in. And I'm, I'm offended. I'm angry. I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the gospel. I'm mad at her. Why? Because I ain't getting what I'm aiming for. But I'm going to tell her I love her because it helps. I'm just being real. So I pushed her for nine months in our engagement, made her cry a lot and violated her conscience again and again. And she never let me hit no home run with her. But man, I was going for a batting average. I got on base a lot. Made her cry a lot. And the whole time told her I love her and tried to say it's because she moved me so much and because I cared so much. And she just did that to me and I'm sorry. Tried to flatter her with my sin. Is that all right if I'm just that raw? So let me get back to his question. Healthy Christian relationship. I believe it should stay free from emotions. Free from cuddling. The Bible says it's not good for a man to touch a woman in Corinthians. He's talking about a man that doesn't have a covenant with a woman. It's not good to touch a woman. Where's a woman? Watch this. Watch this. Watch. I'm not sinning. I didn't violate Corinthians. I'm touching a woman. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about with desire. With intention. You tell me. You be honest. You tell me how two people that are sure they care about each other that are cool towards each other that actually believe they love one another can touch lips and not have desire is it possible you know our wedding ceremony comes from a lot of jewish culture and tradition and do you know that a wife comes a bride-to-be comes down the aisle who knows her daddy walks her down most weddings i would have the mom and dad walk the the groom and the bride down i didn't want no in-laws being outlaws i wanted the parents to give their kids away mutually so i would encourage that i when i did weddings i would have a meeting an hour meeting with the wedding party i'd have a meeting with every living parent and step-parent and i would have about six hours of meetings with the bride and groom and there was no guarantee i would marry them It was that serious to me. And I would never pursue Ken and Barbie stuff. I would pursue Christ is here, Jesus is here, Holy Spirit's going to join you and you're going to know it. And I would make sure best men were best men and maid of honors were maid of honors. And I would tell them why they're standing there. Oh, it was so powerful. Yeah. I watched Holy Spirit join people. It's really good. Traditional wedding, dad walks her down, husband's standing there to be, the groom's standing there, he's usually weeping. Oh, ain't she beautiful, look at that dress. Her dudes are like, his dudes, man, his, his groomsmen, they're like elbowing, oh, dude. This is, uh. There's a lot of emotion at weddings a lot of times. He's crying a lot of times. She comes down, she's veiled. What's that mean? Why is she veiled? It means that all this time, there's been a commitment of marriage. She's been under the covering of her dad. 
And he has had no access to her beyond that veil. 99.9% of couples have already slept together many times before wedding day. Christians. Not world. Christians. And I'm telling you, it's an indictment against us that we aren't growing in relationship and we aren't living with our needs met in Christ. And we're using each other to get something that we can only truly get from him. And if you bring that vulnerability into your marriage, don't think it's not going to show up in other ways. Now look, you say, man, I did. I crossed that line over here. You could be sitting here in a relationship right now feeling like, oh, you'd be like feeling uncomfortable because you've been in this realm. Come on. You can get a grip on things. You can let truth change your heart. You could have been in a marriage and came into this thing that way and say, man, you know what? I don't want that in my marriage. I don't want that motive in my heart. I don't want anyone in my life to meet a need or to give me a feeling. I want to know what it is to love. And I, I tell men, man, you are privileged to honor the value of who she is in Christ. You shouldn't even want to touch her and she shouldn't be insulted by that. We're almost taught to be insulted by that. Girls are trained to want to actually turn on their man. Come on, that's deception. You don't want a man to lust you. You want a man to love you. It's not an honor if he lusts you. So what happens? She's got the veil. She's got the veil. What ha what's the daddy do? He rolls it back, usually hugs her, says a few words. She weeps, squeezes her daddy real tight. And she turns and faces the guy. What's daddy saying? All this time, she's been under my covering. But man, I honor you and I see you as a fit-to-be husband and I give my daughter to you. In that ceremony, there's union, covenant. Hopefully the pastor's clear and shares covenant. But all of a sudden, they exchange their vows. And what vows is, it's not the eloquence of speech. It's not, girl, when I look at you, you know, it's not some sweet thing. It's a covenant and vow of giving your life to one another. It's vows and promises, hard earnest before God and your wedding party, party, which is your witnesses. At the end of the ceremony, what's the pastor say? I now pronounce you what? Man and wife. And then what's he say traditionally? You may now kiss. What's he implying? You haven't yet. But now it's okay because dad gave her away and you just got joined as one in the presence of God and Holy Spirit tied you together. You may now kiss the bride. You be honest with me. I'm not just talking to the young people. This stuff is burning in 50 year olds. I've pastored. I know it, it grieves my heart. And we're in such denial and we have a language to cover up our, our lack and our needs and and we're hiding behind things that don't produce life. And I get aggressive with it. You tell me how two people that have feelings for one another can touch lips and not have desire. It's not good that a man touch a woman. You look it up. It means with desire. Come on. In today's society and all the way back from the generations of the earth, man can just look at a woman and have desire let alone touch her lips. Healthy relationship, keeping Christ in the center, getting to know each other spiritually and growing in Christ spiritually because if you don't do it in your courtship, you won't do it in your marriage. If Jesus isn't the reason you're together, he won't be the reason you're married. 
If you're not together in your union called dating or courtship or whatever you want to call it, I'm not into dating. If, if you don't have the desire to be married and give your life to somebody, look, you don't test drive cars in human life. You don't play the field. You get to know someone in a spiritual level to where you realize I'm willing to give my life to them to bring out the highest, best of who Christ is in their life and where I see their hunger for him. And I want to accommodate that and compliment that. I'm ready to surrender and lay down my life for that high goal. That's true love. That's what every Christian relationship could look like if we teach this passionately and we would say amen and challenge things. It's, it's amazing how vulnerable we are, how quick sexuality shows up in relationships you know we do it to our own i mean way back growing up i remember those songs you know first kiss 16 girl comes home from prom the mom says, did he kiss you and it's like first experience did, did he kiss you tell me all about it the mom's doing that and i'm thinking man i hope not my own little girl man she went to a prom and i said honey i'm concerned because of this and this. And I said, let me tell you what I see happening. I see you dancing, feeling like a queen, because you're drawing something from the fact that he likes you. And I know a way more secure girl than that. And then when you're not even ready, he's just going to reach across and kiss you. And all these feelings are going to flood you. And you're going to run home, lay on your bed, kick your little feet and say, why is everybody worked up? This was the greatest night of my life. And it's exactly what happened. And it was a man that didn't even believe in God. And she was a girl that laid on her face after school and prayed to him without anybody telling her she should. She was a girl that never compromised her faith for four years of high school and took extreme persecution and got caught up in some crazy whirlwind of emotion. And one man kissed her that didn't even believe in God. And she surrendered everything she ever knew this way. Don't tell me emotions aren't powerful. And it's very important to stay close to Jesus. Yeah? Yes. My daughter's doing great. She's a wonderful girl. <laughs> she is. But boy, she put herself through hell and she took eight years of her life that she didn't have to sell. And it was torment. When she looks back on it, it makes her cry. Not in condemnation, just the fact that it was possible. And it's sobering. So you see my passion? I've pastored. I've held too many young girls in my arms like a father. I've watched too many unhealthy tears. I've watched too many people say they were going to get married, sleep together, and it never happens. Something shifts in their relationship. I've watched too many people get condemned. I've watched too many people believe the condemnation and say, oh, well, what the hey? I wasn't a curse word. I'm just trying to say what they say without cursing. What the hey? I already crossed the line. What's it matter? And you meet them two years later and they've crossed four more lines. Now they're carrying that on their conscience. I'm telling you, Jesus can change all that. The day you say, duh, what was I thinking? And run to him. My youth pastor and his wife got married. She was insecure. She grew up. She was so promiscuous. She said, I have no idea how many guys I slept with. Sleeping with guys was what I did. He was a virgin. At an at a older age, he kept himself the whole time. 
parents get a little unsettled. Why are you marrying her? You kept yourself and she didn't. You're going to marry her? He said, she's a virgin. She's chaste in Christ. What are you talking about? She's a virgin in Christ. He fasted seven days before their wedding and asked God to teach him love so she could embrace her and love her. She called me and talked to me about promiscuity and all the men and how she just wanted something special with him. And I said, look, the way you guys are living, they didn't kiss. They didn't cuddle. They didn't express nothing emotional, man. They prayed together. They read together. He's a worship leader. They played the guitar and sang together and worshiped Jesus. And Jesus' presence would envelop them. And it had nothing to do with sexuality. And the night he went into her and slept with her on wedding night, she actually had a hymen and it broke. She experienced what she did when she was a virgin and she bawled and bawled and bawled as she held her husband and worshiped Jesus because God said, I'm going to let you see how pure you are in my sight. I'll just put the little skin back in there for you. Don't tell me you can't live redeemed. Don't tell me that God doesn't see you pure as if you've never... I did a wedding of a girl that was a drug addict and married four or five times in her drug addiction. <laughs> she got saved. She got born again. She met this guy in church to counsel them. She's going to get married. You say, she shouldn't get married. She was married how many times? I'm like, hey, she was lost, confused. That person's dead. This girl. So people just attack that stuff, right? Her family comes. They're all cynical. They're like, here she goes again. How many is this? What number is this? She's changed. <laughs> We're doing the wedding. She comes down in her white gown. Her family's cynical. They're all sitting there. They're like, here we go again. Wonder how long this one's going to. He's standing there. He's looking down at the aisle. She's coming. The lady playing the piano starts playing aggressive and starts singing loud in other tongues. I mean loud. Half the room wasn't even born again. They have no idea what she's doing. They're like, what song is this? Is this Spanish? Is this... What is it? She's singing in tongues. It's all recorded. I have the tape at home. It was way back in the cassette days, man. I know you don't know about that, but there was a day. She's singing in other tongues, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on me. And all of a sudden, I can hear every word she's singing in English. So I just interpreted it after she was done and just sang it over. And God talked to her about coming down the aisle and never doing this before. And take a look into his eyes and you'll know you've never done this before. And my, I'm glad you wore white. I'm so glad you wore white. You were made for white. You look so good in white. You have never done this before. <laughs> And her family's sitting there going, what in the bleep's going on? She's done this a bunch. Oh, no, she hasn't. See, where you've been and what you've done can never change. You can't go back and rewrite the book. You can't even tear out a page. You can't go back and change yesterday. Can't change what you did. Can't change what you said. But guess what can change? You. And when you change and when you say, wow, if I could do that over, I would, in the sense of not doing it, not mean if I could do it over. If I could have a chance to rewrite the page, it would look different. But I can't go back and do that. So see, you can't change where you've been, but you can change. And watch what happens when I read scripture. When you change, God will never see you again for where you've been. He'll see you for what you've become. And he'll meet you there and father you there. And where you were will never be mentioned. 
ever before his throne. And you'll stand before him on that day. And where you've been will never be mentioned. But what you've become in him will be all that you'll hear. Isn't that something? That's the power of the blood. So yeah, great question on relationships. People might think it's hardcore. I don't think so. I think emotions are our biggest enemy. I think feelings and and, and romantic stuff and all the stuff that... I, I'm not against romance. I, I just think that young couples that aren't married should stay away from emotional expression because we've proved we can't handle it. We, I think we need it. And I think we draw identity from it. And I think if we would grow ourselves in Christ together, we'll have the most solid marriages we've ever seen. And honestly, if you aren't living there when you're together before marriage, why would you flip a switch after marriage? Y'all good? Yeah. Is this too much? This is great. Okay. I said that guy right there. Hey! Yep. Just say it loud. I feel like my uh, question is probably a pretty, a pretty short one. But, um, so we Strong don't... one? No, a short question. Oh, oh, okay. I was like, dear Jesus. Where's he going? <laughs> I mean, my brother over here already messed us up right out of the gate. <laughs> go ahead. So I know we want to avoid um, arguments and doctrinal debates. So how do we share truth without getting stuck in debating doctrine? You don't ever have to get stuck debating. You have to recognize you're not, it's not about doctrine. It's about love. It's about loving people. So there's people that don't understand love that are really debating doctrine. They're actually, they actually express hate towards people they don't agree with. Well, that should break your heart. That shouldn't get you involved. You, you should have, man, you should hurt for folks like that. There's people out there on witch hunts. There's people out there with ministry names that like qualify them and disqualify everybody they don't agree with. Truth only stuff, stuff like that. I've seen it. And I'm not, sure, I'm not specifically relating to anybody because I don't follow it that close. But I see that and, and it's like just a debate over doctrine. So people will sit at a lunch table and get heated over their beliefs over scripture and prove that neither one of them see the truth. <laughs> You don't see Jesus getting pulled into that stuff. He died on the cross for those Pharisees. And they were standing there mocking him saying, hmm, he saved others. He said he's the son of God. Let him save himself. He can't even save himself. Let him come down from the cross. He's not there to come down. He's there to stay up. He's there to save them, not himself. They don't have a clue and he's not offended at their arrogance. And he just hung there and died so they could be saved. And don't you think if one of them Pharisees broke after his resurrection or Paul or somebody got to one and they knelt down and said, God, would you forgive me? I stood there and mocked you when your son was on Jesus. I mocked you. I laughed when you were on that cross. God, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, Jesus already knew that. That's what he told the father. So it's not like, let me get back to you, man. We got to debrief on this. I got to talk to the 24 elders. This is heavy, dude. Like you really added salt to the wound. And I remember looking at your face out there, man. Debating, stay a million miles away from it. I have no need to debate with anybody about stuff. If they're sincere, you can always perceive their motive. If they're asking sincere questions, they really want to discourse and talk about truth. But if there's tension, if there's a challenge... You're never going to be. That's why Jesus didn't answer. He didn't even answer Pilate. When they came in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee guy, the leader of the Sanhedrin said, the high priest said, don't you hear the accusations these men bring against you? 
Don't you have anything to say for yourself? And he's silent. He wouldn't feed into that motive. He's not going to fuel a fire that's, that's already burning. He's not going to throw some log on it. Pilate, and, and he wouldn't answer him. Pilate marveled that he didn't defend himself. That he didn't speak up on his behalf. Isn't that amazing? He's not going to feed that thing. He has nothing to say. He's, he'd rather stay quiet. Yeah? Are you with me? Oh, yeah. yeah. So don't get caught in debates. It, it seems to be easy to do that sometimes. Don't do that. Man, don't get caught in debates. It's, I've never seen anything good come out of doctrinal debates. But if somebody's really seeking truth and you're all, and you're hashing it out, and it might even be passionate, but you can see that we're really seeking truth, that's okay. You can stay there, but never where there's tension and argument or you're just trying to change each other's mind or upstage each other with your revelation. Y'all good? Okay. Jordan, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Okay, then we'll go to Jamie. Yep. Go on. So, um, you, you talked about how you don't have, you don't experience anymore any animosity towards your wife. Yeah. You couldn't pull it out of you if she tried. No. Um, can you talk about... <laughs> way, to, way to clarify that. That was good. That was good. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, get, I get concerned when I talk like that because people tend to get judged by that. They're like, man, I'm a man. I want you to understand that either I'm lying and I'm a twisted man. Or it's possible. And let's stop believing it's not possible. Go ahead. Well, yeah, so that I wanted to ask, can, can you share from your personal experience of the journey? You say that we're all trained. It wasn't even a long journey. In the world's ways. Yeah. So I've, I've been this way for so long. I've, I've been saved 25 years. And I haven't demeaned my wife with negativity or spoke back to her in a flesh way for 25 years. You could ask her, she'd look you in the eyes and tell you, there's no way. I just heard her talking to a lady that doesn't know the Lord. And she said, would you please, oh, I'm sorry, it was her, her it was a brother, it's like a half-brother. She was overwhelmed, he called her and stuff, and he's, he said, do you ever get afraid of dying? And blah, blah, blah. He's never wanted nothing to do with God. My wife said to him, watch what my wife said, it's one of the greatest, like, Ugh. and it's just so, because I don't need her to say it, but when she said it and I heard it, it was like so humbling and it just honored God in my life. She said, I want you to go on YouTube and you Google Dan Mola. This is my wife. <laughs> this is the highest testimony you're ever going to get. This is not a YouTube fan. This is the person I live with. Doesn't that make a good emoji? I think there's one like that. She said, you go on YouTube and Google Dan Moeller and just open your heart and just listen. She said, he's actually my husband. And she said, Paul, he knows Jesus and walks with him and understands him more than anybody I've ever known in my life. Yeah, I was getting there. Oh, I was getting there. No, no. Because I want you to understand it doesn't have to be some long, grueling process. And 20 years later, you say, I'm processing, brother. Hey, we're growing. No, no. It's called the light turning on. It's called seeing. When I saw that I wasn't created to be selfish... 
When I saw that my life was called to be new and I was called to be love, I looked down at my Bible the first night I was saved and all I could see, it was opened up to this and all I could see, it was the Holy Spirit, it was supernatural. I don't Bible plunk. I don't like, okay, where do you want me to read? Whoa. It just was that one night. I looked down and all I could see was, if you have not love, you have nothing. And it burned me. And I cried and I said, I've got to be what you are. If you're telling me this and your love and you saved me in a moment at work. My life was so pitiful. I was so willful. I was so lost and you didn't hesitate to embrace me when I cried out. I want to be that way to every man. And I started to ask Holy Spirit to teach me to love. And, and I cried and hugged my Bible and said, God, I know you're in this book. And I need to know you. And I've heard so many people say so many things about you. I just want to forget anything I've ever heard. And I want you to show me who you are. And I'm just on this. Right? All of a sudden, I start crying. So I'm walking in my bedroom. Father, I thank you. My life has changed. Oh, my goodness, I'm saved. I'll never be the same. I had a Christian man say, you got to stop praying that way. Because when you are the same, you're going to let your own heart down and you're going to be condemned. I said, why are you waiting for me to be the same? I have no intentions of being the same. Yeah, but man or man, you're going to, be, you're going to fail, dude. You're going to, you can't set those kind of standards. I'm like, I don't see that in Scripture. Be complete like your Father's complete in heaven. The things I do, you'll do. Watch. If you, oh, if you say, no, no, this is powerful. If you say, it's John 2. If you say you abide and remain in him, ought you not walk even as he walked? Now you let religion tell you that's not possible, but God's not a heretic. You let a preacher tell you you can't do that because of his own human experience. And I'm telling you, I ain't following him. I'm following Jesus. And I ain't following my yesterday. I'm following my present and my things to come. I will not be cheated by human experience when Jesus invited me into something that grace says is possible. Watch this. Ephesians 5.1 You, therefore, as dear children, be imitators of God and walk in love just as Jesus loved and gave himself a sweet, fragrant aroma unto God. Do you hear limitation in that? Or not? I don't. Don't tell me I can't love my wife for 25 years. I went in the bedroom and I put it on, buddy. I went in there and said, I thank you that no one owes me a thing. Man, when I see my wife, I see her through your eyes. And what's always been there and what you've always seen is what I see. Your heart's in me and we're one. And I'm living what you are. And I thank you for it. Holy Spirit, you're awesome. And I wasn't thinking about failing. And I wasn't saying, you need to do work in my heart, Lord. I was like, thank you for a new one. I wasn't like, you got to do something with this wicked, wretched mind, God. I was like, thank you for a brand new one. <laughs> I never one time remember going to God problem driven I always went to God and agreed with what he did through his son and I put it on in prayer and I accepted it and my life started changing and I'd come out of the bedroom different and I didn't even know I was different but everybody around me was like whoa I had dear friends trying to sit me down and talk me out of where I was heading because it freaked them out they said I'm riding a pink cloud my own dad said you're on a pink cloud and when it crashes you're going to crash 
I said, I'm not sure what you're talking about, Dad. I have new life. And I have truth. I don't even know anything about a pink cloud. That was just psychology. That was just his philosophy. Here I am 25 years later. That was either a serious helium cloud. Man, that thing is floating. Because it hasn't crashed. It's been going for 25 years. I am not on a pink cloud. I'm going after truth. And if you continue in it, you'll know it. And it'll make you free. And he who the sun sets free is. That's why there's points of no return. And it's not about failing. It's about becoming. And it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. If I had animosity with my wife, I'd be aware of it immediately, wouldn't I? Wouldn't I be aware of it immediately? And instead of getting condemned to going, oh, I blew it and I failed, I'd be like, are you kidding? That's not even in my heart. I don't want that. I'm not living yesterday's lie. God, you're so much more than that in me. And I thank you for loving me. And I'd go to my wife and I'd cry and I'd say, listen, I never want to devalue you or dishonor you again. Forgive me for the tone I talk to you in. I don't ever want to give you permission to ruffle a feather. I've got brand new life through Jesus Christ. People say, well, yeah, but sometimes, brother, people get under your skin. You can't tell me people don't get on your nerves. Why don't you get new ones? <laughs> See, you're talking out of yesterday's wisdom. You tell me that people get on God's nerves. You try to sell me that. But God's sitting there saying, well, you know, I love them, but it's really hard to like them. That's from the devil himself. There is no such thing as, well, you know, I got to love them, but nobody says I got to like them. What? Where did you get that? Not from Jesus. (laughs) I'm going to sit down. So don't sell yourself cheap with process. And at the same time, don't get condemned if you're growing into something. That's good. Stay in the race and keep going after and show that you're sincere to your own conscience. You have nothing to prove to people. A lot of times we need to teach our own conscience and our own heart. So if you feel like you slipped and you respond in righteousness and run to God instead of running from him, you're on a roll. Right? So it's not about perfection. It's about purity. So if you are married, so if I'm talking about this oneness thing and a week from now, Something happens and you talk to her in a tone that you never want to. And she hears it but doesn't really react. But she sure hears it. And you go in your bedroom and all of a sudden you... And Holy Spirit says, Dude, I love her. You love her. And all of a sudden you go, Oh my goodness, where did I... Man, I was so vulnerable there. I personalized that. God, I don't ever... All of a sudden you make your peace with God. You thank Him for the truth that's working in your life and that you're wiser than you were five minutes ago. And you run and you find her. And you say, honey, I'm sure you heard the tone. She might actually innocently say, no, I didn't catch it. No, I actually, no, I realized and I thought, well, no, honey, when I said that, man, I had other things in my heart. I was bothered. I was kind of speaking down on you. I never want to see you that way. You hold her and ask ask her to forgive you. And she says, oh, it's okay. No, it's not. I love you. That's how you stay healthy, man. That's how she starts honoring the Christ that's growing in you. And that's how it ain't about how you failed. It's about how you responded. All of a sudden, your kids see that, and they see the humility of repentance and the honor of repentance and the power of a daddy that's willing to stand for truth and say that he was weak when he was weak, but go after strong. Yeah? Shoo! These are good answers, man. I'm feeling this. Are you guys good? Yes. Did I answer your question? Yes, thank you. Okay. Oh, 
Jimmy, you're next. They're going, they got to go back to Orange County over here, so yeah. just say it loud. Yep. I appreciate it, yeah. Um, so I've heard you talk a lot about uh, not living by your feelings, and, uh, you know, you, you said a minute ago, like, feelings can be our, our worst enemy in a lot of ways. Um, I'm curious, like, your heart process, is there any way or any, any area that feelings can play a positive role? Oh, totally. Right. We're very emotional. Can you tell I'm an emotional guy? Totally. Totally passionate. So what would you say is the role of feeling? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. I I think we can answer it totally clear. First, you've got to understand that we're not like robots. We're not not stoic. Uh, I'm full of passion. You can see I'm like, I'm a raging maniac half the time. Like... (laughs) But watch, my emotions are never detrimental to anyone's identity. They never cost you the truth. That's good. There's a, there's a redemption of our emotions that truly is necessary. People say, well, brother, you know, you can't not live with feelings. That's denial. You know, you're getting into denial. You can't just stuff your feelings. We all have feelings. God gave us emotions. Biggest lie on the planet. God did not, did not give us the emotions we grew up with. Adam gave you them. They're all centered in self-centeredness. The wellspring of all your emotional responses in life came from a self-centered wellspring. You didn't have to learn to be angry. It came, man, you didn't even speak English and you were angry. Some of you took a swing at your parents and you couldn't even talk. That's true. I've had to happen. Yeah, it's true. You take a binky from a baby and they ain't ready and they're still working that thing. And you mess with kids. You ever see somebody mess with a baby? You take their little cuppy and they ain't done with their cuppy. Cuppy, cuppy, cuppy. You ever see that? You're telling me God did that. God made that. Self-centered wellspring. Every man was born into Adam. You must be born again. So we study a fallen man, Adam, and say this is us. Live with it. And then we incorporate Christ into the mess. And bring a Christian confession into a fallen man. That is messed up. Here's the deal. Here's the simple answer. As my, and I said it the other night. As, as the gospel changes my motive in life. My true sincere why behind my life and my purpose, my perspective. As the why behind my life starts to change, my whole emotional makeup aligns to truth. And all of a sudden everything's redeemed and I'm not suffering the effect of the fall. The insecurity, the, the need for affirmation, all the stuff we've all related to, you cannot separate it from self-centeredness. It all is there because of something self-centered. The focus is on you, not the kingdom. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You're seeking your own well-being. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things are added to you. Guess what happens? When I'm alone in prayer, praying this thing, Man, I ain't processing the lights coming on. And all of a sudden, my life's changed. And all of a sudden, I'm not hurt by the things I was hurt by three weeks ago. All of a sudden, you don't even have access to me anymore. All of a sudden, the truth has made me free. And what I see, I'm free indeed. All of a sudden, I'm not trying to be okay. I'm not trying to not be mad at my wife. If you're trying to not be mad at your spouse, you're already mad. If you're trying to forgive, you're in unforgiveness. And then you say, well, brother, you know, some things take time. Hey, I'm trying. Just back off. Let me process. Some things take time. Stop. Why do you need time to stay where Jesus isn't living? Who, who taught you that? That you need time? 
You just need truth. You need to actually see that, oh my goodness, when I did these things spiritually into God, he never treated me this way. This is insecurity. I'm self-centered. I feel violated. I feel like they broke my trust. I feel like they crossed my line. No, I think you need to get rid of your line and say, wait a minute. There is no place on earth that I have the right to be living in this thing because this thing doesn't produce life. And it mars the identity of the person I feel this way to and I don't even see their highest calling anymore. Are you with me? When your perspective changes in life, when you let the gospel change the why in your life, watch this young man. What's your name? Jake. What is it? Jake. Jake. Jake, when you wake up in the morning and you start understanding and you lay in your bed and you say, Holy Spirit, thanks for another day. Man, this is incredible. You know, I, I, I used to this about life. Or I used to that or whatever. You're just being real. But man, now I see why I'm here. And what a gift. What a day we're going to have together. Nobody owes me a thing today, and I know I'm on the planet to shine. Mercy woke me up today to give me one more day to look like you, Father. That perspective so changes you emotionally that you respond different in every situation. Because as you start believing the truth, you're saved by grace through, through faith. As you really faith in this possibility and that this is true, Holy Spirit goes, yeah, 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 Jake. That's awesome, Jake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And grace starts coming onto your life. And what you believe is true actually becomes your reality. And all of a sudden, you are what you are by the grace of God. And it's not because you're a super Christian. It's because you're a believer. And he gets all the glory because he's amazing. You get it? And then you understand what's happening and all of a sudden you just love him all the more. You see what's wrong with me. <laughs> you get it? It's good. Oh. Did I answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Because feelings are real. They just need redeemed. And the ones we grew up with are a million miles from truth. How should we pray, Lord? When you pray, pray saying. And he gets to this point, you're kingdom come your will be we always use healing when he prays that we say no cancer on earth or on heaven no cancer allowed on the earth and i'm not saying it's wrong but it motivates faith to pray for the sick because it ain't in heaven shouldn't be on the earth what's bound in heaven should be bound in what's loose in heaven should be loose right don't we teach that aggressively was there animosity in heaven is there backbiting willfulness is there pride is there self-centeredness is there arguments contention Offense. Is any of that in heaven? Your will be done on earth. How? As it is. When you go, man, go preach saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's he talking about? Your life looking like Christ. Look, man, don't look here. Don't look there. The kingdom is in you. Ain't that awesome? <laughs> go ahead, we'll go for your question. I'm just so excited. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, first, thank you for your obedience in my in just the ministry earlier. It was super special to me and our family. Um, Jesus loves you. It was really special. Good. Just thank you. Good. Um, question wise, kind of two two-part question first part how do you enter conversations within homosexuality and transgender and then um 
living life with a transgender that has already had surgery. Mm. So how do you speak to the mindset that they're believing in with loving them without agreeing with them? Yeah, man, that's an intense Did question. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's good. It's just a bigger question. <laughs> okay, it's going to sound a little bit like a cop-out, but I want you to follow me. There's no textbook answer on some of these hot potato questions because you're talking about individuals, you're talking about beliefs, you're talking about very sensitive things. Love is imperative when you have these conversations. It can never be because of right or wrong. So many Christians talk to people because they believe they're wrong. They talk to people because they believe they're wrong or they disagree with homosexuality. So they're talking to the homosexual that, that says they're homosexual and boasting in it or proud of it or not ashamed of it. And they feel like they got to set them straight only because of what scripture says. And they come at them from a scriptural standpoint. And there's no real true compassion in their heart for what the person is actually living, believing and experiencing. It, you have to value people like, like without this relationship thing we're talking about. You can't value people like that. Like. Like, you have to have him in you in that way. So when you see these people, because you need the wisdom of God, there's no way for me to give you a textbook answer on that because people are unique individuals and some things are so sensitive. Sometimes it requires a level of relationship, the trust thing, because of where they're at, they actually need to trust. Sometimes they got to get to see your life and value your life enough to where you don't have to always address everything when you see it. Sometimes you actually earn a voice in somebody's life. Actually, they give you permission to speak. You don't always have to address everything you see in a point blank way and try to align people. Sometimes it'll come on you in Holy Spirit. But man, when it's that way, he, the smoke clears and you're overwhelmed and you're just crying and yay, God, and you didn't even see it coming. But if it's a fear and trepidation and you're trying to find an angle, I would say back off and stop looking for an angle. I'd say keep manifesting Christ, love them, and maybe not even bring it up for a while, right? I had two ladies come into a healing service together. They would cry. They would listen. They loved me. They came week after week. Public healing services, I did two a week. Just open the doors. Come on, bring the sick. I had unbelievers coming. We had water baptism. We kept 30 sets of clothes in the closet. We were ready all the time, man. Yes. I'm going to drown you, man. I, I killed so many people in that baptismal, man. People would come in and say, what is that? It looks like a big white casket. I said, yeah, it's kind of supposed to. I said, it's where people go to die. I said, that lid's so heavy, man. It takes three guys, literally. It takes like three guys to lift that lid. Because it was reinforced in case anybody walked out on it so nobody could ever fall in. And I said, if we perceive like tons of sin in your life, we'll just shut the lid, man. Because you aren't getting out. And we'll come back in like three days. And the stone will roll away. And you can finally raise from the dead. And if you don't raise, we know where you are. Because just in time, you prayed the right thing. <laughs> I would mess, mess with people so bad. You're going in there to die. These two ladies came. And, you know, you almost feel bad thinking this stuff. Sometimes you're like, Lord, is that an impression? Because after a while, you're like, are they a couple? Are they together or are they just friends? 
And I blew it off. I'm like, stop that. They're just friends. They're just ladies coming. Why would I think? So I didn't really give it a thought after that. And and I almost felt bad for thinking that. Like, I was judging them. I, like, turned it off totally. So I'm just fellowshiping with them. They'd stay late and talk to me. Weeks when weeks went by. And they're just listening and watching how I handle people and deal. They're seeing I love. They're watching the children. They saw a little boy that had an incurable brain tumor get completely healed. Like, completely healed. And they're watching this stuff, man. And they're like, ugh. So one day they say, can we talk to you after the healing service? I'm like, sure. They're sitting there talking to me. I had myself so innocent. I had myself so removed from any thought. And it took me for a while to even realize where they were going with the conversation. So they're sitting there trying to explain they've never received so much truth. They've never seen love in action like this. They've never been so moved and overwhelmed and understood the gospel like this. And no church has ever accepted and received them. And they want to come here. And they want to be a part here. And they wanted to find my take on this because they wanted to let me know they're a couple. And they wanted to get, because they were honoring me. They were giving me a voice in their situation. And it was amazingly humbling. If I'd have thought they were a couple before, I probably wouldn't have said anything. I would have probably just kept ministering, preaching, and talking to them like I talked to them. Because what the Lord's taught me over the years is sometimes you win a voice in somebody's life. Sometimes they actually give you permission to speak. Sometimes they see something in you that they honor and they want to hear what you have to say because they're going to respect it and it's going to influence their decisions. When I feel like I need to align everybody, I've had people come to church and I knew they were living together and I never said a word about it out of the gate. When most pastors will address it immediately. Well, you can't live together. You can't live together and come to this church. Todd was living with Jackie when I met Todd. I think they turned out good. I, I never said a word to him about living with Jackie. He was so scra- he had so many scrambled eggs in his life. There were so many motives. He had so many street, street stuff still lingering in him. The, I didn't put a rule on him. I had an elder. I didn't even know this. There was an elder in our church saying, man, what are you doing singing so loud and coming to church and you're living with your girlfriend and you're going home and you're living in sin and you're just living in fornication every day and you ain't even doing nothing about it. Man, that's hypocrisy. What are you doing, man? I didn't even know the elder was doing that to him. Todd never even talked to me about it until later. I never felt like I was to say a word about that to him. What happened to him, he grew to this place shortly after. Well, he wasn't even with Jackie for a bunch of time because of where their lives were. And, and when it got time to where he was going to go home, he cried and said, dude, I can't go back there. I said, what do you mean? Well, I can't go back there. I don't have a covenant with her, man. God's showing me I got the cart ahead of the horse. I, she's not my wife. And even though we have a child together, it doesn't mean I can live with her like I have a covenant with her. I don't. I said, you see that? You know that? He said, dude, there's no way I could go home and sleep with her or stay with her. I said, okay, that's amazing. That's good. I never talked to him about it. There was this lady. She was smoking all the time. I've never preached. You shouldn't drink. You shouldn't smoke. I don't preach. Don't smoke if you're a Christian. I don't preach that stuff. I preach identity. I preach who you are. And people that have a conviction about smoking... The truth of the identity and the power of the message takes away the desire and sets them free. This lady is leading a home group for a whole year. And, and, and this wasn't a lady I was pastoring. This is just her story. It's a lady I got to know. 
She's smoking a cigarette leading her home group, and the people in her home group are smoking cigarettes. And there's people like, well, Jesus ain't even in your living room. Like, you're smoking a cigarette, preaching the Bible. Like, what is wrong with you? And people were like freaking out, she said. She didn't have any deeper conviction. She's like, look, all I know is Jesus loves me. <laughs> She's leading her home group for a whole year. Smoking a cigarette, leading her home group, sincere with Jesus. She gets alone with him one day and she's crying and I love you so much and reveal yourself to me. And he starts manifesting and she's having this encounter with God. And he says, hey, you know where we're at and you know how you see me and you know how I see you. You really, you don't need them anymore. They were taking a place of something in your life that only I can really be. Honey, you don't need them. I love you. She heard it from the Lord. She said the last thing she even thought about was lighting a cigarette. She didn't even think about lighting a cigarette. Because her relationship with him said, you don't need that. So it wasn't a do and don't. It's like the, 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 the not real funny joke that I tell about the farmers, you know. They, they come across the fence to meet each other. And, and Hank and Joey, you know. Hey, Hank, how you doing, Joey? Hey, Joey, I heard you become a Christian. Yep, Hank, I'm a Christian. Well, what does that mean, a Christian? You just going to church? No, nope. I don't drink, I don't smoke, and I don't run with the women. Hank's thinking for a little. Well, then I guess my mule's a Christian. <laughs> Did you get it? Yeah, we got it. That's good. It was funny. It was funny. Yeah, it was funnier than it ever is. It's just a good crowd, man. It's a good crowd. So this lady, she didn't, her relationship with Jesus that was real to a level didn't provide a conviction. And if you just sit down and say, hey, you shouldn't do that and try to explain why, might not be a lot of grace on it because you might not even be doing it because you care about the woman. You're not even doing it for You're just doing it because you... You think it's wrong. We've touched people like this so much. And when her conviction through her relationship rose, it wasn't even an issue. It was a done deal. It was over. She's not wearing a patch. She's not condemned. She's not. <laughs> she just said, okay, yeah, and put it away. So I would say. It's a very tender topic. The one where they already had the surgery, very painful. I've actually, I'm actually aware of a situation like that. I'm actually, I was semi-close to a situation like that for a season with a friend and, and that I haven't seen for a little while. Very painful, very challenging, and very sensitive. I don't think we should be real quick to speak into some of those situations. I think we should be really quick to love and win a voice. And those ladies sat me down. And then when I realized they respected me and they were going to hear me as from the Lord, I realized they were giving me permission. And then I talked plain to them. And I said, you'll never commit. You weren't born this way. God didn't make you this way. I'm sorry. It's a strong passion. It's a strong emotion. It's a feeling. It probably stems to something. It could go back to childhood. It could go back to being touched strong when you were really little. It could. There's a lot of things. But... You were not created this way, and I'm going to prove it. And I read scripture to him that proves it. And, and it was Romans 1, and it was 2 Corinthians 6. And, 
And they just cried and sobbed and cried. And I said, listen, don't let this be painful. Do you know I love you girls? Do you know there's not an ounce of judgment in my life? Like, do you know you were confident to share this with me because you've watched me for weeks and you were confident in Christ in my life? <laughs> That's why we're talking to you. Well, don't think the information you gave me changes the way I see you too. But no, I don't believe this is healthy. And yes, I believe there's help for you and God. And if you both would take a little fast from each other and go get alone with Jesus and ask Holy Spirit to reveal to your heart through Scripture and you say, God, you're the most important thing with my life. Being with her isn't why I'm coming to you to find an escape. I'm not trying to find a church that accepts us. I want to know you. And I want you to put clarity on us. I said, you'll both come out of this thing totally seeing truth. So I took them to him. And if you make him your priority and fast this and stop trying to find a Christian that accepts this so that it's acceptable, no, you go find him. And you'll find the truth in him. And whatever shifted in you along the way or whatever happened that causes these desires to gravitate towards each other, it's unnatural. The Bible says it's, it's beyond nature. It's not the natural use. And you'll find truth in him. They cried and cried and said, okay, pastor. And they broke away. The last I knew, I'm out of touch with it now because it was a long time ago. One was doing really well in the process and, and growing and the other end was struggling and wanting to just be with her or be with a woman. And the other one went, wow, did my eyes open. Who knows that there's hope for the other one as well? Who knows this one because of the relationship they have, as she gets established and strong, can actually be a voice in her life and help persuade her into a higher truth. And who knows she's not threatened by that, like putting herself back in an arena. She actually might be one of the greatest voices. You see what I'm saying? So I don't have a strong answer other than make sure that when we talk to people about these things, that our motive is truly love. Make sure that we have the grace to have a voice. And let's make sure we love really, really well. Yeah? follow up with it um, and something really encouraging would see the testimony post-surgery because that's where my heart breaks. Yeah. Is The only thing I can relate to, it's very painful. It's very, you, you really have to trust Holy Spirit and whatever that looks like in true repentance with them, I think we'll find wisdom along the way because some of this stuff we haven't even ever encountered. Some of this stuff is really intense. I mean, when you're selling out your identity to the point where you're physically changing it, that's intense. So I did bump into it once. There was a guy that was prophetic and everybody would come to him for words. And, and we had some pastoral time together where I was concerned about him riding the identity of a prophet, a male reader. And, you know, he was, he was finding his zeal and zip in Christianity because people seemed to flock to him for a word because God used him that way, it seemed at times. But it, there were things that seemed unhealthy. And... and uh, so we talked. He loved me. He respected me. 
I think he heard me when we had that conversation and he would just visit. He wasn't our, he wasn't our, his, our church wasn't his home church. He would just come for some meetings and things. And he loved me. He liked my teachings and he'd come on Saturdays when I taught a certain class. So years go by. I haven't seen him, right? It was shocking. It was shocking, and it's good that you don't handle things shocked. Like, oh, I was just like, oh, thank you that I didn't freak out. Like, right. yeah. Like, I was laying on my bed one day, the garage door slips open, and the Lord said, it's your daughter. She's coming to tell you she's pregnant. Don't react. Isn't that amazing? Because wow. he doesn't want me to react because he knows my heart is to model Christ. And he's concerned that I might be in over my head. So he gives me a heads up so I don't regret anything. (laughs) My daughter sits in the chair. She's trying to tell us. And she's at this place where if she don't tell us soon, we're going to figure it out. And she just keeps staring at me. And I keep staring at her. And she's talking to mom and her lip trembles. And I just looked at her and kind of smiled. And she came charging me and dove on me and is bawling, laying on me. And I said, it's okay, I already know. She said, I knew you would know. <laughs> and then, and then, so see, because I am the way I am, and I'm, 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 I'm her daddy, and I love her, and there's a time to just hold her. But man, I'm sharp and straight with the word. I, I said, isn't it amazing that you already know I know because you know he's that real. And you know he's the Lord of my life. And yet you won't allow him to be that in you. Honey, stop running outside of where you created to live. You already knew. I knew. He's that real. How can you live as if he's not and get your own self to believe that? And then she realized, oh, I'm breaking down, getting vulnerable, and I watched her force herself to not cry. That's just where she was. But isn't God loving? So I'm in this line People are like, today, you guys, some of you guys lined up, and hey, hi, love you, thank you, and it was all sweet and good, and I gave myself to everybody there lined up. It was beautiful. It wasn't anything weird or unhealthy. It was good. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed today so much. No, I did. And uh, can you tell I enjoy myself? Can you tell I'm not, like, wore out? Like, you guys didn't drain my cup today. I get in this line, this lady steps in front of me and I mean this guy is a big dude he's kind of built he's a big dude he doesn't make a good lady but man he was a lady (laughs) he says hey pastor you probably don't remember me but you would remember me as so and so but now I go by the name, and he shared a woman's name. And he's got makeup on, he's got long hair, he's got, like, boobs. I like, they're boobs. And I'm like, and I'm like, I want to go, it can't be you. And I'm like, whoa. And he's like, real matter of fact, like, Dan will be cool with this. So I was never encountered anything like that. And I said, Oh, my goodness, yeah. I said, man, what happened? What's going on? Be real. I mean, you you know, I'm like, what's going on? Like, I haven't seen you forever. Well, something absolutely happened. Like, what's... He said, well, you know, I had such a conviction 
to minister to the transgender in the, the, the society and I felt like there's no help for them and they, they're a forsaken crowd and nobody knows how to reach them. So I just felt like I was supposed to jump in and become one so that I could relate. And I said, what? You really believe that? He said, not after today. He said, no, I'm listening to your message and I'm thinking, man, was I deceived and man, did I run far from truth. I said, well, how are you going to respond with that conviction? I'm going to let God love me and forgive me and I'm going to still share my story with people. I'm going to let God turn it for the good, but man, I sure didn't have to go this road and I shouldn't have went this road. And, but I know God loves me nonetheless. And I'm like, really? You really believe that? That's what I'm thinking. I didn't say that. I'm looking in his eyes and thinking, he believes that. So I was like, good. Because what are you going to do? You know? Pray that God takes away his boobs and pray that God restores what was removed. I don't know. Maybe you can. Nah, maybe you can. Right? I didn't feel like even talking about that. I was just like, so you're good with that. You're solid. So you went that far. You believed that. He said, yeah, but I was deceived. I realized, listen to you preach today. Man, somehow I got so far from truth. Ain't that something? What it boiled down to, what he was trying to tell me is he had homosexual desires in his life. He always felt like he should have been a woman. And he used that minister to that group as a reason to go through with that. And he was convicted by his inner heart motive. And he's telling me, now that I've been here, I realized I'm deceived. So that's pretty intense. So it seemed like God was doing something that seemed positive. Where it went from there, can't really tell you. I didn't pray for him to become a man. Maybe I should have. Uh, I don't know. Some of these things we're growing in. But I know God knows. And I know I'm going to keep my love straight. And I'm glad I didn't react when I saw his face through the makeup. Because when I realized, when he had the name, and when I looked and realized it was him, it was shocking to me. It, it would have been easy to go, dude, are you serious? Like, I'm glad I didn't do that. Jesus didn't want me to do that. Yeah, man, whatever. I don't know, man. I'm in California, dude. I flew here. I'm like, I'm on your time. If anyone needs to go, you can go. Dan probably won't leave. You'll just keep going. <laughs> as long as people are looking at me, right. something's happening. I feel drawn. Go, you can go. Like it's your fault if you sit right. there like this. Right. <laughs> However late we go, I'm blaming it totally on you. Because if you're going to sit there like this. We'll do marshmallows yet. Because that's going to get kind of No, we could tie this up, man. I mean, we could just fellowship and wrap it. I don't, I'm, yeah, hey, whatever. Do, I know I there's a one. few here that probably have a Who's got, like, a lot of questions. like, I really got to ask this tonight. Like, this is a real question. You feel like it's in your heart. Charlie, you're there. And you, okay, let's just do two more. Share as long as you want to. And Mark. You're okay. so faithful. Two more. Three. Three? Did you say three? <laughs> three. All right, right here. Four. Four. Yeah, four? Okay, four. <laughs> oh, they're trying. Oh, they're pulling it now. They're all coming. All right, we're just standing. I see five, six. All right, we're just going to keep going. We're just going to keep going, Dan. I'm fine. I can tell. <laughs> you guys are fine. All right, right here. Dan, thanks. Just thank you. Uh, you sure. A crazy impact on my life over the last couple of years. And Good. That's awesome. Just appreciate you. Okay. Um, 
my question is, how do you affirm people like coworkers or students or athletes or people that you're involved with when you're in an atmosphere where you're not allowed to share the gospel or talk about God or mention Jesus? Um, you know, I, I work in an environment like that, and you know, I get a chance to pray for people like kind of on an individual level. But when you're in a public space, um, how do you get a chance to like affirm them uh, without enabling? Uh, maybe maybe destructive habits or identities that are there, you know, or just or just kind of blowing smoke in a sense of saying right things and everything's wrong and yeah, that like, sometimes you feel like some people feel like, man, I'm telling them that, but it's not helping them because there's so much dysfunction in front of me. It feels like I'm, you know what I mean. I've seen other people say, well, I'm saying it in a prophetic way, like I want to speak it over their life. Right. I, I think we have more access to people than we realize, and we don't have to do it in prayer form or Christian form or even bring up God. I think there's values we can impart. I think we can talk to people about what it means to be a team, part of things, and having a better attitude, a life-giving attitude. Man, really, come on. I think you're so much more than having that attitude. Think how detrimental that is right now. Like, what you're saying is going to cost somebody something. In fact, I see it's costing you. Come on, man, I want to challenge that. There's a higher way for you to think. You're more than that. I always speak that way to people. I try to speak that they're more than that. I talk to a young group of kids on the street corner. I start talking about, now I'll get straight into it about the Lord, and I'll talk to them that create a value, purpose, and you're a whole lot more than that. And I'm telling you, everybody in this circle, you'll know it's right when I say it. Self-centeredness is eating our lunch. It's destroying our lives. Because you guys are cool right now until somebody doesn't agree with somebody. You guys are cool right now until it affects you in a negative way. And then you're, you're, you used to be in and now you're out. And they used to be your best friend, now you don't even talk. Come on, that you got to be way more than that. There's so much more to your lives than living that rat race that we've all been crushed by. That's how I talk to young people. And I just go straight and I teach. When I, when I would discipline my kids when I got saved, I realized I used to get frustrated with my kids. So I would just t- set my kids straight, I thought. I would just show them that I had lines they could cross and they obviously crossed it and now you're going to pay. And Jesus was like totally transforming in my parenting like to where all of a sudden I valued my kids and realized, man, I got to teach them family, that they're a vital part of a component called family, that I'm not correcting them because they're wrong or I'm mad. I'm correcting them because they're so much more than what they're doing. Like they have a higher value than what they're seeing or even believing right now. So I want to paint that value in the correction, and the correction is actually painting the value. When God chastises his children, if he loves you, he'll chastise you. We think that means he's going to pick up the board and whip us. Are you kidding? The word means instruction. He's going to give you instruction. He's going to instruct you, right? So I think there's a lack of healthy communication in the way of truth, whether we can pray or not. My wife was a teacher aide for years in a public school. But man, did she speak life into little kids. Man, she got away with so much. She'd rub her little shoulders and talk to them and tell them how precious they are. They were getting no love at home. It was three weeks before they'd lift their head up off the desk and even look you in the eyes. You know, she'd come home and say a name. Let's pray. We got to pray. Man, she needs touched. And she'd come home bawling and say, little Jenny looked at me today. She let me talk to her. I hugged her. She'll be crying. My wife's amazing. She wasn't allowed to pray, but boy, she prayed without them knowing. She'd rub her little shoulders. And she'd just talk to her and tell her beautiful things that she believed about her. And all of a sudden, everybody's loving her. And now she has total access to the heart of these kids. Yeah, and it's Jesus. You know what I mean? So she's speaking into their destiny, into their value, into their purpose in their life. She's speaking values into them that they're not seeing or maybe never been taught. 
You can do that in a work environment. You'd say, really, man? Come on, listen. I hear the way you're reacting to that. And I know what they did was wrong, but man, look how it's affecting you. Come on, I want you to be bigger than that. Be a bigger man than that. Well, how would you let what one man said and you didn't agree with wreck you so much that you're venting to me right now and you're actually disjointed and frustrated, man. You could go home from here tonight and all of a sudden you're venting on your wife because you carried that in the house and she didn't even do nothing. She didn't even know why you feel this way. Dude, your life is so much more than that. You could do that without even mentioning Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I would challenge people like that. When I worked in the workplace, man, I got a job. I was pastoring for two years. I felt like I needed to go into the workplace. I just felt like I wanted to go into the darkest place I can find. I just got this urge to go into darkness, man. Like, I felt like I'm in Christmas. Everything was Christian, man. Backslidden people said, amen, brother. I just, I don't know. I was struggling in ministry, what church was. I felt like church was a business. I was green in life. It was my struggle. I'm not saying anybody was wrong. And I'm not saying I was supposed to be in the workplace. It was my idea. And God just kind of sat back and chuckled and said, I'll let you do it. But boy, he put me in the darkest place I've ever been. It was so fun. Oh, my goodness. I wanted to live there the rest of my life. Like, people were just so raw and real, and they didn't have a clue, and they'd mock what they didn't understand, and everything the Bible says there was right in front of me. And I just went in there just to shine and just to love. and just. So I was in that all the time. My supervisors didn't believe God. My, the head guy of the warehouse was the most cynical person in my life. He persecuted me beyond belief openly in front of the coworkers. And he's supposed to be professional. And you could get a grudge and say, you're supposed to be professional. What's wrong with you? And all I had, to, all I had was love for him, right? So I was in that arena all the time. And I'm telling you, it's powerful and it's possible. And these young kids started to respect me. They didn't have anybody really fathering them. Some people didn't have relationships with their daddy. And, man, I'd see them do something. I, I felt like I was correcting them like they were my own kids. I'd say, hey, man, come here. Oh, no, what are you going to give me? Now? What are you going to do? No, come here, man, don't do that. Stop, get off the pity party thing. Listen to me, man. Be a man. Man up right now. How old are you? Come on, man, live that old right now. And I'd get on them, right? I'd just mess with them. And I'd say, man, what you just said, what you just said, I see where that's leading you, and I see the attitude it's producing. Come on, we're a team. And if you keep doing that, next thing you know, there's so much animosity, and we're a team, but you don't even like him. Come on, everything about how you're responding is detrimental to you, to your life, and to him. Why would you sell that cheap? That's how I would talk to people in the workplace that were on my team. Never even mentioned Jesus, but they knew I was a Jesus man. You see what I mean? Now, if they asked me questions, I'd relate and bring Jesus into it. My head trainer on our team, he was young. He had a lot of money going. The company was blessing him. and He had a girlfriend, and he didn't believe in Jesus. But, man, he watched my life, like, intensely. And when he got in derision, guess who he called? Guess who he pulled aside? Guess who he asked questions? It's powerful. So be there, man. Speak up in some of those things. The ones you have a relationship with, you'll know. You'll know the grace of voice. You'll know how much voice you can have. But if you always make it for their sake, that's the key, guys. Look, I could be, I could be a pastor in your church. Yes, please. No, and, and no, because you're a good one. I, I, I could be a pastor in your church, and I could see something you're doing, like your question that you said. I could see something you're doing and know it's wrong scripturally, and I could come to you and address it just because I'm your pastor, and I'm thinking, man, you should know better. Look, Scripture says, why would you do that? 
And I could say that, and I could be actually right factually, and you could be wrong, and no grace follows it, and God doesn't impact it because I'm not even talking to you for your sake because I love you. I'm just talking to you because you're wrong, and I'm like, what are you doing? I could turn around and say the same thing to you from a whole different heart, and God's on it like, bam. And it pierces you, and it affects you. You hear what I'm saying? You never talk to somebody because they're wrong. You talk to somebody because they're more than what they're believing. And they have greater value than what they're living. Always. That's what heaven goes with. Not because they're wrong and you're right. Come on, if God came because he's right and you're wrong, you'd have no hope. You'd just stay wrong. God didn't come right and wrong. God came righteous. And he rules his kingdom with the scepter of righteousness. What's the difference between right and righteousness? Right makes things wrong. Righteousness makes wrong things right. Righteousness sees men for what they can be, not what they've been. Yeah? Man, the helicopters are coming they're here, coming here now. now, bro. Dude, they're over top of you everywhere you go. <laughs> they're going to minister. They're, they're no, they're o- counting. They're flying over the other church. They're counting. You're they're gathering. Prophets and prophetesses. We're all right. Here he comes, dude. He found you. He said, look at that guy with the white beard. That's the same guy that was in that building. Did you hear the helicopter this morning? He was right there, man. He was right over the building. I said, uh-oh, that's that helicopter you told me about. We're all good. It's the same. Okay, just say it loud. Did I answer your question? Okay, good. It's all right, man. Wait, we're being census. We gotta wait for the census. Now, they, they ain't checking us out. <laughs> Go ahead. Shout out your questions. Right, right. Who are you interacting with? My, co- my manager and my other co Okay, so what's your question? What are you asking? Maybe suggestions on Yeah, you can bring your convictions into a conversation without... And it's not that I'm suppressing Jesus and stuff. I just discern situations. Like, this is another question where there's no textbook answer. Everybody's different. We have to learn and discern situations. We got to know when to save with compassion or when to snatch out of a fire. Right? We, we should discern the difference. The Bible says that. Some you save with compassion, some you snatch out of the fire. We're supposed to discern the difference. So... I said it today. Who was there when I said about feeling pressure evangelistically like you're obligated to always minister Jesus? No, I'm called to live Jesus. And he's what makes me tick. So he comes out in my conversations without me maybe mention his names, his precepts, his principles, his attitude, his love. And all of a sudden I'm talking and somebody will say something and they're saying it out of spite or they're saying it's cynical. I don't buy into it. I don't chuckle. I say, listen, man, I don't, I don't know if, honestly, right now, and they're your boss. Right now, honestly, I'm just going to be straight. Can I be straight, man? I'm uncomfortable talking about Fred like that. I feel like we're putting him down and he's not here. And 
I just feel like it's a zero, man. It's not going to come. And I'm sorry. I'm not bashing you. I'm saying, man, let's not just bring Fred into a conversation like that because I just don't feel like it's edifying and he's part of our team. And I don't want that view of Fred in my heart. And I don't want you to have that view of Fred. I think Fred's more than sometimes the things that he's saying and doing. I think Fred has greater potential. I think we ought to speak into that, man. You could talk like that to your boss. Yeah? And your boss says, who do you think you are trying to grab your boss? You know, you could do that. You could do that. Listen, man, I have no intentions to try to, I'm not trying to control you. I'm not trying to lord. I'm just trying, I'm just, my conscience was violated. I'm convicted by the way we're talking about Fred. That's all I'm saying, sir. And I'd prefer if we don't do it that way. And in time, it might get clear why you're that way. In time, your boss might say, hey, that time we were on the phone, I ain't never got that out of my mind, man. What was going on with you, man? Why'd you talk to me about that? Why'd you stand your ground so much? I was taken back by that. Now all of a sudden you can share your convictions, actually share your faith. You see what I'm saying? I talked to my own dad one day. Boom. He called me three days later crying. He said, I can't get your words out of my head. I was like, good. (laughs) Really? Like, not good. Finally, I was just like, good. That's God. That has to be it. Because he was just so deceived in what he was saying. And he cried and he apologized. And it was amazing. About four months later, he came out on the porch and said something I had never heard come out of his mouth. He started crying. He grabbed my arm and spun me around and said, I want you to know I'm so proud of you. Wow. Never heard my dad say that. Here's the beautiful thing. I wasn't living for my dad to say that. Yeah. That's right. I was living to love my dad. I didn't need my dad to say he's proud of me for me to be okay. I was so okay before he said it. So when he said it, I didn't turn into a basket case and manifest on the porch. God, he finally, he finally accepted me. Are you kidding? That wasn't even a goal in my life. The goal was to become Christ-like and love my dad right where he's at. It wasn't conditional on him. Man, don't feel like you need something from somebody because of the relationship they're supposed to be in your life and they haven't been that. You're not lacking anything. They're probably lacking a whole lot more than you. You should really be okay with the understanding we've been given. My dad doesn't need to say, I love you for me to be loved. I didn't wake up for my dad to love me. I woke up to love my dad. That changes everything. So all of a sudden, I have a voice in his life. He couldn't hear anything I was saying in the beginning. He was offended by it. I said, Lord, what's going on with my dad? I don't even know what's going on, why I'm hurting him, why I'm making him so angry. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? She's not doing anything wrong. Your dad believes that it's unfit and unproper for a son to ever teach a dad, that a dad only ever has the position and the right to teach the son. He feels dishonored. He feels like you're trying to be his teacher and you're not his son. I said, he feels that way? That's not even in my heart. And say it's in your heart. That's what he believes. I stormed right back in the house. Slipped open the door. He's yelling at mom because when the person you're mad at leaves, what do you do? Vent to the closest person that you're familiar with. So he's just yelling at my mom. And he looks up and he stops. And I says, hey, Dad, sorry, listen. Man, I just realized something. I didn't say, the Lord spoke to me in the doorway. I said, I just realized something. You feel like I'm teaching you. You feel like I'm dishonoring you, like I'm trying to tell you something. You've always had this belief that it's improper for a son to teach a dad. It's only proper for a dad to teach a son. You've been offended by the things I said because you felt like I was trying to tell you something instead of share something with you. I said, Dad, I'm sorry. That was never my intention. But on the flip side, Holy Spirit gave me this in the moment. On the flip side, I want you to understand something, Dad. I'm not three. I'm not 13. 
I'm 33. And there might be a time in my life, Dad, where I see something you never saw. There might actually be a time in my life where I know something you never knew. And you know what? It's just okay. Love you guys. And I walked out. He said those words didn't leave him for three days. Wow. He called me crying, saying he's sorry for his unjust attitude. All of a sudden, he began to watch my life and receive from my life. And four months later, he come and cried and said, I'm so proud of you. And man, you're everything you proclaimed that day when you came to the house. Your life is showing it. I put my hands right on his shoulders and I said, that's great, Dad. So what about you? And I went right after him. So my own dad, who was alcoholic, who never said, I love you, and always said, I'd be nothing, got born again through my salvation because I wasn't a hurting backwards son. You see why I'm confident in all these things? You see why I talk so aggressive? I got a lot of stories to back it up. Look, we've all been challenged with these kind of things. And all our stories are a little different, but they're full of the same kind of letdowns and hurts and things. Let's have no need to go around and share that story. Let's keep sharing his because it's the answer. It's not about you don't know what I've been through. It's about, man, I know what he's been through. And I'm a product of that truth. Ain't that something? Yay. Help? Good. Charlie's Trying to give shorter, better answers, okay. clearer. I give long answers. So you'll be next. Yeah. Living this revelation as a pastor when you were pastoring, and people observe the fuego on your life, and it's amazing, and you're fun, and you're powerful, and then people want to draw from that. You're laying down your life, but what does that look like? Like being uh, like discipling people in the midst of maybe being manipulated or being controlled by their expectations of your revelation of saying that this is what you live yeah uh even in the discipling world like I, I never put anybody in my hip pocket in my whole life i i never felt like i teach people relationship i teach people the personal holy spirit holy spirit said to me in my life when i got saved He said, because there was a big push in the 90s and 80s and 90s of discipleship, mentoring, and I'm not against that. Uh, I said, what's with this discipleship and what's with this? And people need a significant person in their life, a voice, blah, blah, blah. I've been that in a lot of people's lives, honestly. I've never had that in my life. I don't have one person in my life that I would say was a mentor or spiritual father in my life. Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit said to me, because they said, well, Jesus had the 12, and we're supposed to have. And Holy Spirit said, no, no, when Jesus went to the Father, he gave another, and it's me, the helper, another, alos in the Greek, the same kind as, to do in his absence what he would do if he was here. So he said, I'm your discipler, I'm your mentor. And you can glean from men's lives, but I'll teach you in Christ. And I feel like my life's been so crazy healthy. Like, just so healthy, because I've gleaned from men the things that I honor. If you honor a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. What that means is if you honor the grace and the gift in their life, there's, there's evidence of that grace that will come on to your life because of the honor. You honor a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you'll receive that righteous man's reward. That means if you honor the righteousness he's walking in and see it for what it is, it'll become your revelation and you'll walk in the same fruit. Does that make sense? Yeah. So... My view of discipleship and, and, and people's expectations, like this to me is discipleship. 
This is mentoring. I feel like the teaching, the grace on the things I teach is, is mentoring. People say, I feel like you're my spiritual father. I say, well, you're probably being fathered by the messages. You're probably being fathered by God through the messages. I feel like you can listen to the YouTube teachings and grow in Christ and develop an incredible relationship with Jesus and just walk out your faith without even talking to me ever. So I haven't had my... Like they said, well, you mentored Todd. No, Todd. Todd made himself available and put himself where I was. Todd, Todd, it's amazing, Todd. Todd's like, dude, I'm with you, dude. Everywhere you go, man, I'm on it. I love you. I see Christ in your life. I said, okay, great. <laughs> I never called Todd. I don't even know to this day if I just called Todd on my own. To this day, I don't even know because I'm so pursued, I don't pursue. I don't know if I've ever just said, hey, Todd, how are you doing? And just called him as a friend. He, he's always called me. It's just the way it is, and it's nothing wrong with that. It's not because we never had this relational commitment to discipleship. I've, I never saw that discipleship is putting a man in my hip pocket. I get young people, emails from young people all the time. It's amazing. It's, it's humbling. It's honoring, but it's not where my vision is. They're like, they want to come live in my house. I mean, I actually have people say, God is speaking to me and I pray and trust that you'll hear the same thing. I'm supposed to come to your house and live with you for a year. And I'm like, that would not even be fun for you. Like, I'm a hunter. I'm a fisher. They, they just must think I just walk around in some spooky way. And they just want to follow me. <laughs> no, last week I was sitting in a tree stand trying to shoot Bambi's dad. I'm sorry. I was. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I just live Jesus. I go fishing, but man, I'll pray for a guy at the boat ramp. I see the guy on the chair sitting there fishing. He's got a cast up over his knee. I pull the boat up to shore and walk down and say, hey, man, what'd you do? After a while, it hits him. You pulled your boat up to pray for me? You came over to talk to me to find out what I did just to pray? Well, yeah, if I believe the gospel, I would. That's simple. They're like, what? I said, no, no, no. That's not radical. Don't think that's radical. Dude, let me tell you radical. God. Became a man. <laughs> Died on a cross for doing nothing wrong. And didn't let no one take his life. He freely gave it. So that I could come back to God through his life. Through his sacrifice. Through his example. And wear the truth of who he is. And have the right to stop and pray for you. I said that's radical. Me praying for you. That's a given. Him opening that door. That's radical. And he's like. So you pray for it. <laughs> it's just fun, man. So I, I live in everyday life. I love the outdoors, man. I go fishing, like, but I never do anything apart from Christ. It's not like we're so surrendered you can never go bowling. There's people dying. Everybody's going to hell. What are you doing bowling? <laughs> go bowling, man. But bold in Jesus. Don't get so competitive that you leave Christ in the chair you were sitting in. Like, have fun and shine and touch somebody along the way. And man, when you're giving guy shoes back and you just say, hey man, you just, all of a sudden Jesus is everywhere you are. And he says, where you are, there I'll be. Yeah? I think we over-spiritualize this thing sometimes, right? So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I have a way, probably a way different view of, 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 of discipleship. I don't believe anybody has to be in my hip pocket and, 
and follow me around, break bread every day like the disciples did with Jesus. I believe that's who Holy Spirit's supposed to be in everybody's life. But yet we have men and figures and people in our life that Paul says we pattern after because we have them as examples. Follow those who through faith have received and inherited the promises. So it's important to have figures in our life that we respect, that we honor, that we glean from. I've gleaned from some men of God some valuable things in my life. I can't tell you I've ever had anybody mentor me. I've never had a mentor in my life. I can't tell you I have a spiritual father. But man, do I have a father. And I don't feel like I'm an island to myself. And I don't feel like that's prideful or unhealthy. And I actually get concerned about the young people that come to me because they're being taught if you don't have a spiritual father, you'll never be what you can be. If you don't come under the covering of someone, you'll da-da-da-da-da. And I, I think you're creating a bondage in the minds and hearts of sincere young people. I disagree with that teaching. I think it's amazing to humble yourself, to respect people of, of, of your elders and to listen to people that maybe are seasoned or have walked in the faith and not pursue to be a know-it-all in that way. But man, don't think you're lacking anything because you don't have somebody to actually mark as a spiritual father. Call no man on earth your father should be evidence enough that we better not over-preach that. Are you okay? Because that father message is probably out here on the West Coast pretty strong. It's here. Yeah? I think it is. No, I just, I'm I'm just saying, because I don't want to ruffle too much. I'm just saying, be careful with that because it creates limitation and it makes good-hearted, sincere young people feel like they can never be what he paid for if they don't have certain things in their life, like go through certain hoops. That that can't be true. Paul, Paul met Jesus riding a horse to go persecute Christians and arrest them. He went blind and Ananias prayed for him and he got vision. He, he, he talks about going off for like 14 years and didn't confer with anyone and came back after 14 years of being with Jesus in the state of an apostle and he didn't confer with anyone. And he finally showed up in Jerusalem and shared his revelation. And they marveled at the man that persecuted his 14 years. He didn't sit under anyone. He just went to be with the Lord. It's a fascinating story when you look at Paul's life. See, I feel like he did that. I feel like I went in my bedroom and my bedroom was my meeting place. And he met me there and I feel like he discipled me there and mentored me there. He taught me who he was. He showed me who I was in him. It's just a beautiful thing. Yeah? yeah? So. So really quick, just a little bit more specific is like when you like healthily continue living your life and blissing out and blasting people along the way, but not like giving people false expectations. How do you kindly. Oh, I talk about that stuff. People have expectations. People. People really do. People feel like they want to connect. They get touched by you. They feel like, hey, I just feel like we need to connect. I get asked to do lunch 10 times a week. Right. And Are I just I just don't do that. I, I it knows an acceptable answer. I had a pastor tell me one time, you have to understand that knows an acceptable answer and if people are going to put you in a position to say no, you have to be bold enough to say no when it's no and explain that to them. So I talk to people about Gardner Heart. Look, it's nothing personal. You probably don't understand my life what you're actually asking for and what you're desiring 
isn't even possible. I'm not even in the grace to accomplish what you're asking. And I don't want you set up to be heard. I don't want you to feel let down. It's, it's not even a grace that I'm possibly walking in. What you're asking can't even be done. I talk straight. I, I communicate. Like I let people, and I've told people when they say they're okay and they're not hurt, and I find out they were hurt anyway. So sometimes you can only talk to somebody, but then when you find out they're hurt, you get a hold of them, what's going on? Hey, how come you conveyed that to somebody? You told me you were fine, and I actually believed you. Well, I just, listen, no, stop. You're never compelled to say the right thing. I want you to be legit, because if you'd have told me you were hurt, I would have I tried to help you understand my heart, because my heart's not to hurt you. That's the stuff I've been through. I communicate. I try to cover back. I want to make sure people are well. Yeah? So if they come with expectations, I just have to dismantle their expectation and just tell them that their expectations are unreasonable, that they're outside of reality. Yeah. Sorry, there you are. So, um, so considering right and wrong, right and righteousness, pulling people out with love, pulling people out with fire, like... In this wicked age, especially here in California, like, how do we go about correcting or rebuking a false prophet or a teacher? Like, and, cause, because, like, you know, there's there's people out there who are claiming, you know, God is alone, or we are God. Or, um, I have a close friend, um, he was just, um, just a mighty man of God, and one day he came around with this guy who was discipling him, and he just taught him that, like, you know, Jesus cursed, and he taught him that pornography is okay to watch, that just, like, he really corrupted him, and it just hurts me, man, you know? And they followed that? They went after it? Like, he used to rap for the Lord and everything. Yeah. It was really dope, but ever since he started being discipled by this guy, now he doesn't even do that. He just, like, he, he in his songs, like, he curses and praises the Lord as well, but it's just... If I had a friend that did that, you're describing him as a friend. So it's somebody you've had relationship with. Yeah, that was a really close friend. Of mine. I, oh, see right there. I would, man, I would go after him with a passion. I would sit him down. I wouldn't even give him permission to not let me talk. I would demand that our past experience and relationship gives me way more right than you just shutting me off, man. We ain't even going there. I care about you and I'm concerned. And you got to look me in the eyes and tell me that you actually aren't convicted by this and that you believe this. Because, dude, this is not promoting life. You've been deceived. I, you ought to see how I am with people that I have relationship with. Like, you know, I come across a certain way, but I'm pretty intense. Uh, I really am. Like, if it, if you're my friend, I, I, I've been in a car with the guy. If you'd have heard me talking, you would have thought I was angry. You would have thought that I was out of order. Nope, there was nothing in my heart out of order. I know why I'm talking to him like that. Because he's being deceived. He's about ready to go with some woman that ain't his wife. And he's trying to talk me into saying it's okay and why it is okay and giving me his lame stuff. And this is a guy I intercede with and prayed with and knew for years. And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Like, and I, I, I shut the door. I said, put up the windows. And man, I talked to him like man to man. Oh, I was intense. And it was to rescue him. It was to snatch him out of the fire. I was telling him, this isn't even an option for you, man. This isn't an argument. It's not even up for debate. Dude, you're twisted and deceived if you're telling me this is the truth. You've went wayward on me. It's time to come back. Come on. Don't you get out of this car telling me this is even an option. It is zero option. I was that intense with him. He went ahead and did it. Anyway, paid a heavy price. It was a painful scene. 
Yeah, but man, did I warn him and did I cry from the rooftop. He's a friend, man. He's somebody you've had a relationship with and you want to cry over it. You got a lot of voice there. You do it for his sake. You go to rescue his soul. It says, he who saves a brother and turns a brother from sinning is save his soul. Go for it. Don't be afraid of that. Your beef isn't with the man that corrupted him. You might not even have a voice there. Now, you might. I, I mean, I, I went to a pastor once that was messing up young girls in a very bad way. And I walked right in and confronted him. I confronted him, like, intensely. <laughs> no, I did. Because it's not a good thing. I wanted to pull him out of delusion and somehow possibly trust that God would grant him repentance. You know what I'm saying? Very rare that I've been in that mode. The Bible says the servant of the Lord must be gentle at all, able to teach, instruct, least God would perhaps grant repentance so they could be removed from the snare of the devil they've been captive and held by their whole lifetime. But there's times you snatch out of the fire as well. Your motive's not less. Your motive's still love. Your motive is for the redemption of that soul. But you in a relationship where you've been buds and you've walked together in the Lord, you have a, you have a real voice there. Don't not think you don't have a voice. Don't clam up. Don't go quiet. And don't just let your mind spin and hurt. You sit him down and you cry out for the salvation of his soul. You go try to restore a brother. Confront him. Yeah? One of my best friends in the Lord went AWOL. And he called me from the house of a woman that wasn't his wife. And tried to tell me how God set them up to heal each other. Because they were forsaken by their spouses. I'm just the wrong guy to try to sell that to. <laughs> if it, my, my pastor's daughter was in the next room. I talked to him. Scriptures poured out of me that I didn't even realize I knew the way I knew him. About being spots in our love feast and clouds without water and you sit and you sup and you break bread. And it came out of me with Old Testament stuff that I didn't even realize I read. It just came out of me like the computer file of my heart like I, did, like I knew him from yesterday. And it came out of me so strong. And I said, in fact, I'm done with this. When I wasn't saved, I would never hung up on you. I was so mouthy and I was so arrogant. I would have rather beat you in an argument than hang up on you. Hanging up on you would have been a cop out. I hung up on this guy. I. And then I went. And thought that I crashed and fell from the motive of love and that I reacted and got angry and I, I was so overwhelmed with emotion. I just crawled. I was, it was so pitiful. I crawled under my desk in a fetal position and cried and said, God, forgive me. Have mercy. I don't know what's going on, but that is overwhelming. me. I hope I didn't touch him wrong. I hope I didn't hurt him. God, I want him saved and I'm bawling. All of a sudden it hits me. Oh my goodness. She's right next door. She heard the whole thing. So I'm crying over that. Whole time I'm crying and curled up, the phone's ringing. And the Lord said, you need to get the phone. Get the phone. I'm like, I'm coming out of this hole. And then I feel like the biggest hypocrite on the planet. Because the phone's ringing and I'm, and I'm like, hello. And I say the church name, hello. Like everything's fine. I'm a mess. What's the name of your church? 
So, hello, I love Vista Church. No! But I put on a voice and I answered the phone. And guess what I have on the other end of the phone? I have crying so intense that there's no English words able to come through the tears. And all of a sudden I realized it's him. And I said, I sounded like the meanest man on the planet. What do you want? Why are you calling? Help me. Help me. I'm in hell. I'm in hell. I said, I'll help you all right. I'll help you. Listen to me. Get your things. Get in your car. And get home now. Click. That was my counsel. I called his wife. I said, he's 11 hours from home. He'll probably be there in 10. Because he's on the way. How do you know? He'll be there. You call me as soon as he pulls in the driveway. I had to call pastor's daughter. I said, hey, this is how powerful it is to have a reputation in the hearts of men through lifestyle and not doctrine. She worked with me every day. She saw me, my life. She's in the office every day. To this day, she weeps when we bump into each other. She's so pastor dad. I love you so much. She hugs me because I'm not in touch with her life all the time. I bump into her. I called her. I said, hey, were you in the office when I was on the phone? She said, yeah. I said, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. She said, I never heard you talk like that to anyone. I've never even heard that tone in your voice. She said, I looked through the window. I saw the intensity on your face. And I said, wow, somebody must really be in trouble. This must really be serious for Dan to be this intense because I know him. I really need to pray. She got in her car and started praying for whatever was going on to work out. And she didn't question my conversation one bit. And I explained the situation. And she said, oh, Dan, I am totally cool towards you. I know your heart towards people. I asked the guy what happened when I... Later, when he came home, I asked him what happened when I yelled on the phone and slammed the phone. He said, knowing you and our relationship and the respect that I have for your relationship and God and the way you carry yourself, when you freaked out and slammed the phone, I knew I must have been very lost. And I realized how deceived my language was for you to react like that. And it shook me to the truth. Ain't that powerful? Here's why I cried and crawled under my desk. I usually am totally in touch with my heart motive. I never reacted like that to anybody before. So the first thing I did was question if I was just angry. Because I wasn't used to that tone and aggression. But it was a total absolute move of Holy Spirit to snatch him out of the fire. Because when I realized he was on the phone, the same thing came on me. I'm all broken. I'm crying. I'm all wishy-washy. And all of a sudden I go, why are you calling me? (laughs) (laughs) What should you do? Let me tell you what you do. Bam, bam. I give him instruction and slam the phone. Ain't that something? So I hope that helps. We have more of a voice with people we've had relationship with and we realize and I believe the lack of communication is the number one problem in a lot of our scenarios. The lack of communication. I don't think we talk 
oh, about the situation that. to the right people. I don't think I don't think we have enough communication in our marriages. I don't think we talk about what we really mean and what we. I think we believe body language. I think we send sign signals or something. Right. I don't think we sit with our children and make it plain. Right. I think communication, healthy communication, and the why behind our life is lacking. Sitting as long as it takes to make somebody realize where you're coming from so that they're not hurt by what you're saying, but empowered. I think the ability to communicate or the, the knowledge to communicate is lacking, and we ought to ask Holy Spirit for that wisdom in our lives. Does that make sense? Are we still going with questions? Yeah, they're, they're with it. You guys are with it? Okay. Oh, look, I mean, they're not leaving. No, it's, it's up there. Hey, I'm okay. I was wondering if you could paint a picture, and I hope this isn't too forward, but just kind of going off the marriage questions. I want to hear you uh, teach on a healthy perspective of sexual intimacy. Oh, in Lord Jesus. You're asking me that now. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Just go to YouTube. They put it up. It's there. So, I mean, that's a big, that's a big answer. It's in depth. But I, 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 let me just trigger you to go on a search in the Holy Ghost. The whole sexual function of our lives as we grow older and step into what that all means. You can't tell me that it hasn't been motivated by self. Self-centered desire. Sometimes I've found that, especially in women, it's more obligatory. They're not in that place, but yet they feel like sometimes they respond because they're looking for love, acceptance, or they feel like it's their part to respond that way. Because if they love their husband, they, there's, there's a lot of that going on too. Uh, I used to believe it was more of that, but it's not. There's, there's ladies that are actually very active and promiscuous in that way. It's dealing with self-centeredness. It's making sure selfishness is never your motive and whatever you're getting out of the experience isn't why you're there. I hope I made that plain. What you're getting out of the experience isn't why you're in the experience. It's a giving of yourself one to another and unless you have a covenant marriage, you're not even in that position to say you're doing that. So you can never experience what God intended unless you're in that place of covenant. Ever. I'm just telling you, you'll never even come close to experiencing what's there. Self-centeredness is the biggest hindrance to experiencing the experience of the Spirit of God in your union. Go after that. Ask Holy Spirit what he intended or God what he intended and ask Holy Spirit to teach you. If you're married here today, ask, go on a journey, man. Ask Holy Spirit to teach you what God intended in this arena for your lives in marriage and that you don't want to ever touch your spouse outside of that truth. And you'll be amazed where that seeking takes you. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. Let, me do, let me be a small bit graphic with you on something when I got this revelation it was so overwhelming because I was dysfunctional in that arena like most people are and I could function in that arena if I was angry when I got this revelation in the beginning my wife still had that obligatory I had damaged her she felt like she was supposed to be a, she you know there's this and, and, and she initiated a couple days into our restoration 
wasn't even a thought to me. I was actually thinking, I'm never going to pursue that arena again because I don't want to touch it wrong and I don't care. I was like, yeah, it was just, but that wasn't even what God wanted. <laughs> so she initiated something that was familiar to me. But watch this. My spirit on the inside groaned and I had no physical human ability to respond because my spirit discerned her motive in the advance and never wants me to respond. It had nothing to do with that. And I held her real tight and she whispered and said, is something wrong? I said, yeah, you never have to touch me that way again, meaning from that motive, that place. And you talk about deliverance. My wife convulsed in my arms, shook, convulsed, and looked like she went into seizures because of carrying the weight of womanhood and what it was projected on her from a little girl and what she was supposed to be in a marriage and how I had hurt her for 13 years with expectations and putting her under the pressure of performance. And that night I held her and I couldn't function as a physical man, which was astounding to me because it wasn't something I tried and it wasn't because I needed some meds. Because <laughs> I was living by the Spirit and my Spirit discerned her motive. And I couldn't function because I care that much. <laughs> about it being right. Oh my goodness. So I hold her. She's going into convulsions. How's this holding her? And we're just crying. And she's just crying. And she's getting free from the obligatory of wifery. And we just fall asleep in each other's arms in the presence of Jesus. And it was nothing. It never went anywhere else. And it was a night or two later. It was like, all of a sudden this thing just happens, man. And it's like our first time in the Holy Ghost, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm like, what was I thinking before? <laughs> it's so powerful. It's go on a journey instead of me exploiting it all and explaining it all with these little guys looking on. I talk about sex all the time with my kids. Go on a journey. There's something so pure. The old Jewish heritage, they would get married, they would consummate their marriage under what they called a hoopah, which represented the presence of God. And they actually did their weddings in a very holy way. The guy would come and lay claim to a wife, he'd bring a gift to the dad, and he would go and prepare a place. It's just like when Jesus says, I go to my father and prepare a place. It's literally what the Jewish heritage would do. He would go back to his father's house. He'd prepare a place for his wife. And when it was ready, he'd come with an entourage and come and claim her like a thief in the night. Mm -hmm. That's right. And she would find herself ready. Yeah. And all that scripture is about rapture and him coming for his bride. See, it's the mystery. It's man and wife, but he's speaking of Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. It's all there in their heritage. So the whole time they're engaged, they're totally committed by vow and promise. They're not dating. They're not watching movies. They ain't spooning. They ain't hanging out. They ain't holding hands. They ain't playing cards. They're just committed. And he's going to pair up a place for her. And when he comes and gets her, there's this big entourage and celebration. And he comes and he whisks her away. They consummate their marriage under a thing called a hoopah because the presence of God is to be the dominating factor of every union. To where you're more aware of him than what you're experiencing. Because he's love. And man, when I had this experience with my wife, I, I thought, what was I selling cheap for? Oh my goodness, this counterfeit isn't even close. Isn't even close to what's there. Go on a journey if you're married. Go on a journey if you're not married and say, I ain't going to sell for anything less than what he intended. 
and teach me that and connect me with somebody significant that's desiring that truth. Yeah? yeah. So you ain't just ever caught just making out. <laughs> that's such a low level. <laughs> Wouldn't it be amazing to be more aware of his presence than anything you're experiencing in your body? Isn't that something? My wife said, when we first came together, so she said, I would, I would rub her shoulder. It felt like I touched every inch of her body. She said, it was so overwhelming. She said, I never... And I said, well, that's because I was laying there crying. Say, God, you put so much love in my heart. I don't even know how to love her this way. I don't even know how to express this. Man, you got to help me. Love her through me. Help me. Love her through me. Holy Spirit, I was talking to the Lord like that. And it was like this supernatural experience that was beyond description. And then once you taste that, why would you ever go back to what was? Because it was so, so shallow and hollow. It was actually self-centered. My whole experience in that arena was self-centered my whole life till I knew Jesus. Mm. Hey, so I got, I'm going to take Dan. Sorry. I'm that guy. No, I think everybody's fine. You to the car with yeah, I know. <laughs> a few will. A few will. We just know that. No, we're good. But he's preaching in the morning at 10 a.m., so he needs to sleep. So I would ask that you guys kind of just let him go and let us walk to the car. What time is it? It's about 10.15. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I thought it was way late. That's not really late. But no, I'm okay. We'll go. We it's can up go. to you. <laughs> I, mean, it's a, I thought it was midnight, man. What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm a guy that sleeps five hours a night. Man. <laughs> All right, let's see a few more questions. <laughs> I'm going to go to the bathroom myself. <laughs> okay. Yeah, intimate with Jesus isn't an appointment. It's 24-7 kind of a reality in a sense where you can just... You can exchange love. You can just be with Him. Did you ever like... You're married and you walk through the house and you pass your spouse and you just... You just grab her, or you grab him, and you, you know, I've seen ladies do this. They initiate it, and they just say, I just love you, babe, or something like that. You know what I mean? I'll be driving in my truck. Father, just thank you. I so appreciate your love for me. It's so amazing how you're opening my heart to truth, and I just love you. Jesus, I don't even know how words don't even express how grateful I am for everything you've done and the truth you show in my heart. Holy Spirit, thank you. I just, you know what I mean? I just commune. I just... And, and, and I'll read my Bible or I'll hear a song and it'll say something or, or read something that means something to me. I'll just stop reading and go right into communication. That's amazing because that's exactly how you see me. I am absolutely that clean in your sight as I sit here right now. That's incredible that your blood is that powerful that you see me right now as if I've never sinned. And there's nothing that can stop us from being one. I'll talk to him like that all the time. All the time. <laughs> That's intimacy. I'm a pastor. I ask a lot of questions. I, when I counseled a lot, I would say, you know, well, what's your relationship look like? What's your intimacy look like? A lot of people were like, what do you mean? Well, your prayer life. Well, I have a list. I pray for this. I pray for my mom. I pray for... Okay, but what about just your exchange with God? They would like be not even know. So I would try to teach that. And I learned this. This is something. A super crazy high percentage of Christians that I talk to, I'm going to say in the 90 percentile, never acknowledged when they were all alone and initiated the acknowledgement of God loving them to Him on their own. 
Never just said, thanks for loving me. Never just making supper in the kitchen and just dropping the ladle and reaching up your hands, ladies, in the kitchen. Father, just thank you for loving me. I so value who you are in me. And I so appreciate the way you see me, that you made me spotless and pure and clean in your sight. God, I love you, and I want to grow in you, and I just want to live in you, and I want to be everything you've ever desired or paid for. I am so glad to be your girl. That's intimacy. Guy driving to work, thank you, Father, for the honor of life. Man, I used to think I'm heading to the grindstone. Are you kidding me? Life is a gift. Thanks for setting me straight and putting me into truth. Man, keep fathering me. I am so enjoying life in you. That's intimacy. Yeah? Just, that's powerful. And I don't think we've been taught that. I, I, I've talked to countless Christians that never just said, man, thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you, Father, for being my, my father. Here's another thing they don't do. They're always getting prayer for, to feel freedom and to be free. When do you ever just go in your bedroom and lift your hands and say, thank you for making me free? If you're waiting to feel it, you'll always be driven by feelings and sensuality. And if you're not feeling good, you're not doing good. No, nope, but if you're not believing good, you're not doing good. Wow. When do you just say thank you for making me free? Come on. Hmm. Yeah? Well, yeah, but brother, I just feel like some things need to be broken. Yeah, probably off your belief system. <laughs> Not being mean. You're living by feelings. You're, you're letting your sensual experience and reality be the truth about what you believe. He says you have been delivered from the power of darkness. It doesn't sound like you need delivered. Sounds like you believe delivered. When do you just get alone in a bedroom and lift your hands no matter how you're feeling and say, thank you for delivering me from the power of darkness, translating me into the kingdom of your love. Wow, the way you love me is amazing. Christians that aren't doing that aren't walking in that revelation, so they're getting prayer to feel that revelation. It's not cool. Manifestations are a dime a dozen. Truth will make you free. <laughs> are you with me? Yay. So when I believe these things and I get a manifestation, it's hinged on truth. It can never do me damage. When, you're, when your belief is hinged on a manifestation, you'll have to keep having a manifestation. And if you don't, you'll think something's wrong or something changed or he changed. Come on, I've been around this thing. I've watched it. Especially in your young generation. Be careful about that. Comparing yourselves among yourselves and going after spiritual encounters. I mean, no, go after him. Go after him. I've never had a spiritual encounter because I looked for it. And I can tell you some amazing things that I don't even talk about that are yeah. reserved to my own heart. Yeah. And they never came because I sought it. They came because I was loving him, being loved by him, and seeking him. And they always came in the midst of relationship. And they always had a strong meaning and reason. And it wasn't just so that I had an encounter. He actually entrusted me with some things because I already believed. You see what I'm saying? It's one of the greatest ways to experience him. Believe in him. Y'all good? Yay. Doing marshmallows. Whoa. Dude. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Everybody good? I mean, you guys are troopers. Thanks for hanging in there. Huh? I mean, I just have fun. I just appreciate your all hunger. Questions are amazing. Your pursuit of God. I've been humbled by it the whole weekend. I've been saying it to you how many times, but all these young people, man, they're on the edge of their seat. They just want truth. And it feels like you can just tell it like it is, and they're like, yeah. 
it's special. So yeah, stay hungry. Don't let anything take us off course, man. We keep running together. Amen. 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 All right. I think we're done. Amen.